America's symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Turn it on and rip the knob off. guys and welcome back to the wrestling memory grenade episode number 73 and it is time for the definitive edition of wrestlemania 3 here on the grenade and i am your host ray russell a very excited a very pumped up ray russell here this week as we begin to talk wrestlemania 3 it's been a long time coming it's been a long and winding road to wrestlemania filled with twists and turns along the way but we finally made it to the Silverdome, Pontiac, Michigan. It is the definitive edition of WrestleMania 3 in podcast form, and we're going to tackle every angle, every aspect of the event, both inside and outside the ring. We'll talk the storylines leading in, break down the matches themselves, the post-match altercations, a multitude of fun facts you may have never heard before. We'll look at Dave Meltzer's star ratings for the event and see if I agree on anything DeMelt came up with here. I've also went back and skimmed various versions of the event, including the Coliseum video version, Peacock version as well, before watching my original live broadcast of the event in its entirety, pre-show included. Later on, we'll also talk the fallout of WrestleMania for both the WWF and other promoters as well, plus common misconceptions and false narratives others have put out there in the past. We'll discuss the layout of the referees on the show, financial figures, the payoffs. Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. That's payoffs. Plus, we'll look at the talent, the superstars missing from WrestleMania, and so much more. I told you it was definitive, guys. All of that and sound bites galore. Before we get going any further, I want to wish you guys a very happy Turkey Week. Happy Thanksgiving Eve for those in the States today, or if you're listening to it on Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving as well. Again, to those here in the States. Gobble, gobble. And if you're not listening here in the States or you're not listening on Thanksgiving, that's okay too. I hope you guys are having a great day wherever you are. Reminder, you can listen to the Wrestling Memory Grenade as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network on WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And everywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google Pod, Pocket Cast, Audible on Amazon, and beyond. And make sure you stop on over to our YouTube channel. You can find us there at youtube.com slash wrestlinggrenade. Not only do I try and post timely videos that complement our projects here on The Grenade Show, but also other random goodies I might find from time to time as I continue to preserve my VHS collection by converting everything to digital. Subscribe now so you never miss a new video, dropping them each and every week. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, if it still exists by the time this drops. I know there's been a lot of rumors going around lately with Elon Musk and Twitter. But as for now, you can follow us on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade, home of the free prize giveaway. Also, follow and like us on Facebook.com slash Grenade. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and or Facebook for your chance to enter and win all future free prize giveaways. 
And speaking of free prize giveaways, it's that time, guys. To announce the winners of our current free prize giveaways. Current giveaways are special Ricky the Dragon Steamboat autographed 8x10 promo pick. Of course, the dragon there is the Intercontinental Champion. And our second giveaway, the Honky Tonk Man. Also an autographed promo pick of HTM as IC Champion. Two gifts and two winners. Both winners to be announced right here, right now, here on the Grenade is Promised. And the winner of the Honky Tonk Man autographed 8x10 promo pick. Drum roll, please. All right, and from Facebook, I want to congratulate Gabriel Adams. Gabriel from the Banger Main area. Congratulations, you are the winner of the Honky Tonk Man autographed 8x10. It'll be in the mail to you immediately after the Thanksgiving holiday. But we're not done yet. One more free prize to give away this week. And now, the winner of the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat autographed 8x10. One more drum roll, guys. All right, and the winner of the second free prize giveaway, the Ricky Steamboat autograph, goes to... It is Matthew Hopper from Twitter. Matthew from Olive Branch, Mississippi. Congratulations to both Matthew and Gabriel on their wins here at the free prize giveaways as part of the WrestleMania 3 edition of The Grenade. And remember, all you have to do is follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade or follow and like us on Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade for your chance to win each and every future free prize giveaway here on The Grenade. It's that simple. And now is absolutely a great time to become a patron, a WrestleCopia patron, that is, which you can find over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from. But the one I always recommend to start with, it's that $5 all-access tier. Includes six gifts for $5, including all of my insanely detailed show notes, including these WrestleMania 3 show notes, guys. But yes, all of my insanely detailed show notes for both the Wrestling Memory Grenade, as well as Monday Warfare. It's Raw versus Nitro. We're talking there. And coming soon, show notes from our regional wrestling podcast as well. You'll also get early access to many of our podcasts here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. You can listen days, sometimes even a week, before the rest of the listeners. Also available on the all-access tier, unedited versions of many of the podcasts, including Tom Robinson's TR Shocks the World. Plus, yes, the Patreon-exclusive Watch Along series covering many WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's Main Events, Clash of the Champions, and more. But it doesn't end there. Recently added remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project. You might be asking, Ray, what do you mean by remastered versions? Well, first I mean enhanced sound quality, but also new content. Originally edited out of the initial broadcast of the shows, edited right back in. Plus, now, I promised you a sixth gift for $5. We've also added digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. So yes, you get all of that. My insanely detailed show notes, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, remastered versions of the show, early access to many of the podcasts, plus now digital downloads, and so much more. All of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription. Cancel anytime. Give it a go for a month, and I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it 
goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, guys, help us pay some of the bills to help keep the Wrestling Memory Grenade Monday Warfare and our new show, the Regional Wrestling Podcast, talking the territories. Keep all of that and more up and running for the years to come. And with all of that out of the way, let the show begin. It's WrestleMania 3, the definitive edition, has arrived here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. And we get moving right away. We're going to take a look, a brief look here at the pre-show. And to my knowledge, off the top of my head, this is the first time the WWF has tried a 30-minute countdown show hyping the big pay-per-view. And our host for this one, a fairly new Craig DeGeorge, introduces the pre-show as we kick things off right away with highlights from both WrestleManias 1 and 2. Lots of highlights from the big matches on those cards. Then it's off to Mean Gene Oakland with a special WrestleMania report before we go to footage of the Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant contract signing, which takes us back to Craig DeGeorge, who asks the big question, who will win the match between WWF champion Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant at WrestleMania? Well, who better to ask than the wrestlers themselves? We're going to hear from several of the WWF superstars who they think will win the big main event match at WrestleMania. Stay tuned and we'll talk about it on the other side. The question, who will win and why? My thoughts, Andre or Hogan, I'm telling you something. I'm going to pick Hogan. You know why? Because fear makes adrenaline run. And Hogan, if you're not scared of this big man, you're a fool. Right now, I can't believe the direction that Andre the Giant has taken. Bobby Heenan, the manager. Even though with Heenan along ringside, I've got to take the edge and give it to our champion, Hulk Hogan. Well, you know, they say a wise man rush in with a fool should stand back and wait. Now, Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan, I got to have to talk to the boys on the block, but I put my money on a sure place. Mm, what a night it's going to be when the big hot brother, when he take on Andre the Giant. Well, I'm telling you one thing, Andre, you better shoot your best shot because the Hulk is hot brother. I'm going with the Hulk brother because he is number one. He is the world champion. When are you going to put that on you? Brian, the biggest question in 1987, who's going to win WrestleMania 3, Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant? Well, you know, a lot of people out there consider Hulk Hogan the underdog. Well, I got to go with Hulk Hogan because I know he's got the American pride. He's got the spirit. He's got the intestinal fortitude, and he's got the desire, and he's got something to stand up for, and that's America. Well, can you believe it, Tom? In the same ring at the same time, Hulk Hogan against Andre the Giant. You know, my prediction, even though it's very hard to predict, I am going to go with Hulk Hogan because he's a friend of mine. Wait a minute. How can you go with Hulk Hogan? The man's been unbeaten for a decade and a half, 15 years. Andre the Giant, that's right. WrestleMania 3, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, the two biggest critters on God's green earth. I don't know why Andre signed up with that doggone Bobby Heenan. Hulk, you're my buddy. I got a vote for you. I'm going to pay to get a seat for this. Who's going to be the real giant? Andre's the real giant because he was manufactured in somebody's basement. Hulk Hogan, you met your match. Believe it or not, your 200-pound head, sand through an hourglass. Those are the last days of your life. Well, you know, someone hit, man. Hulk thinks he's such a big shot. Well, nobody knows better than the hitman the anvil because we've been against Andre the Giant in WrestleMania 2. <laughs> and he is one bad dude. <laughs> I think you've met your match. Hulk Foundation felt the wrath of the Giant. <laughs> You're in trouble, baby. 
This is it, Hulk Hogan. This is it for you, big boy. You're going to get just what you deserve. You're going to get beat. Andre the Giant WrestleMania 3. He's going to be the next world champion. You'll never stab anybody else in the back like he did me. WrestleMania 3. The main event. Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Personally, I think it should be Butch Reed versus Hulk Hogan. But Hulk Hogan, I hope the Giant just crashes you like a grape, boy. Okay, Butch, but remember, Hulk Hogan is one tough vine. All right, we heard from the likes of Jake the Snake Roberts, Ricky Steamboat the Junkyard Dog, Coco Beware the Killer Beast, Hillbilly Jim, all picking Hulk Hogan, no shocker there. Then we get to the Can-Am connection. Rick Martell, he goes Hulk Hogan, but Tom Zink, he picks Andre the Giant. I like the differential there between the two Can-Ams, but that right there, that should have been the red flag for Rick Martell as far as having Tom Zink as a partner. Now, on the other end, again, no shocker, guys like the Hart Foundation, the Honky Tonk Man, Natural Butch Reed, all picking Andre the Giant. I love how Butch Reed said, well, it should be me in the main event against Hulk Hogan. But yes, to no surprise, all of the heels picking Andre to win the big match. The pre-show continues on as we get promos from all of the celebrities that will be part of WrestleMania. Then we go off to a Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat feud recap video. And as I was forced to watch this again, they go back to Saturday night's main event back in January. When Ricky Steamboat first returns from the larynx injury, if you remember during the match, Randy Savage tries to leave ringside only for the Dragons music to hit and Ricky Steamboat to make his return. And I had to laugh here because Jesse Ventura on commentary, his response to the Dragon returning with music in the middle of a match, he says something along the lines of, You're telling me this wasn't planned? Somebody just happened to play the music? Oh, Jesse, pointing out the obvious that we choose to ignore today, but I tend to agree with the body. Just found that funny there. We also go back in time to see Danny Davis is suspended for life as referee, only to be hired as a wrestler by Jimmy Hart. We go back and look at a few clips leading up to the Hart Foundation Davis versus Bulldogs and Tito Santana matchup, as well as feud clips, feud highlights of Adrian Adonis versus Rowdy Roddy Piper, a clip of Roddy Piper announcing his retirement from the ring, and that quickly wraps up the pre-show, but not before we get one quick short hard sell from Hulk Hogan promoting everyone at home to call their local cable company right now and order WrestleMania 3. For all my cable TV Hulkamaniacs, make sure you order now for March 29th, WrestleMania 3. What you gonna do when the Pythons run wild on you? Well, if the Hulk says so, you better do it, brother. And as we wind down the clock, just a minute left before the big pay-per-view begins, the big event begins, we hear from the celebrities one last time. It's Bob Euchre, Mary Hart, Aretha Franklin, and Alice Cooper. None of them would miss WrestleMania for anything. All right, all the matches, the excitement, the celebrities. WrestleMania 3 is coming. It's bigger, better, and better. Sunday afternoon, March the 29th. Now, if you can't make it to the Pontiac Silverdome, you don't have to worry. You can catch all the action right here, live on your cable system. So order now. Don't wait and get shut out. And you can call your cable system for details on how to see WrestleMania 3 on your own television set. WrestleMania 3, you certainly don't want to miss it. Hi, I'm Bob Huker, Mr. Baseball, inviting you to the biggest happening of the year. It's March the 29th at the Pontiac Silverdome, WrestleMania 3. I wouldn't miss it even if I didn't have a seat in the front row. I wouldn't miss it for all the gossip in Hollywood. I wouldn't miss it for all of the gold records at Era. I wouldn't miss it for all the snakes in Brazil. The recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. 
All right, and Bob Uger going to be there in the front row, obviously, referencing his Miller Lite commercials. Mary Hart wouldn't miss it for all of the gossip in Hollywood. Meanwhile, Aretha says she wouldn't miss it for all the gold records at Arista. Alice Cooper, a little less clever, he wouldn't miss it for all the snakes in Brazil. And of course, so we know the four celebrities that will be at WrestleMania 3, but there's also a few that didn't quite make it to the show. Three, in fact. And we'll talk more about those missing celebrities as this episode of The Grenade goes on, so stay tuned for that. But it is time, guy. It's time for WrestleMania 3, and as promised, I said, I went back and analyzed every version of the event, including the Coliseum video version, which featured a few Coliseum video exclusives. And before we get going to the actual event, I got a few of those sound bites lined up for you here, as Mean Gene Oakland standing inside the empty arena hypes up the big upcoming event. All right, this is the calm before the storm. In less than 24 hours, here at the Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan, the figure that I now have, 92,926 fans, will be setting a brand new indoor world attendance record as part of WrestleMania 3. This afternoon at this hour, with us are the hundreds and hundreds on the staff of the Silverdome, plus technicians who will be televising this event literally all over the world. 11 television cameras, our broadcast crew, and of course myself and others working around the clock preparing for this big event. I've been told there's something like 360 miles of just cable that has been laid through the Silver Dome. I'm not going to walk it off. But I can tell you this, when this place is packed and the efforts of all of the promoters and all of the great athletes who have been gathered under one roof for this phenomenal extravaganza, when all of those efforts come to fruition and it all finally pops here, when Aretha Franklin kicks it off with America the Beautiful, you will know that the fruits of the labor are being reaped in the greatest sporting extravaganza of all time. All right, Mean Gene sounds ready, but we're not done yet. Another Coliseum video exclusive here. It's Gorilla Monsoon standing by with Lord Alfred Hayes. High atop the Silverdome. Looks like they're standing where Jesse and Gorilla will call the commentary later on. You can see the fans actually filing in behind them. So this wasn't recorded too long before WrestleMania actually began. Here's Gorilla Monsoon and his lordship. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the broadcast booth here in the Silverdome, Pontiac, Michigan. I'm Gorilla Monsoon, along with his lordship, Alfred Hayes, and we're getting set. The preparations are underway for WrestleMania III, the greatest sporting event ever to go down in the annals of sporting history. Lord Alfred, you and I were both privileged enough to be part of WrestleMania I, WrestleMania II, and now WrestleMania III. What does it take to put this all together? Well, I believe it actually started with WrestleMania I. I mean, that took a tremendous effort to put that together. That came from Madison Square Gardens. Absolutely. We moved on to WrestleMania 2, which came from three different venues. Three outstanding locations. Nassau Coliseum, the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, and the Los Angeles Coliseum. Yes, I was out in Los Angeles. You were in Chicago, and I think that that is where one of the biggest shocks took place. History was made. It really was, because that is where the tag team title changed places. The British Bulldogs won that. They hung on to it for a while, and now there's another epic struggle going on to try and regain that title, but there are more and more teams competing. Very good teams. 
matches. Absolutely. The matches are going to go on here, 12 great matches, and just a matter of a few hours will certainly go down in the annals of wrestling history as some of the greatest matches ever put together, including, of course, the giant confrontation between world's heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, now under the tutelage of Bobby the Brain Heenan. You know, it's hard to keep track of some of these great events as they go down year after year, but one of the best ways is with home videotapes. Definitely. I think home video is something that everybody will be able to look back in years and say, I was there, or I do have a memory of this, because just look at this, and what a tape this is going to be my work. History will be made and you can be a part of it. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, I'm, I'm just happy to know that Alfred Hayes was in attendance for this event. He deserved it. And while he doesn't actually appear on the WrestleMania pay-per-view, happy to see Hayes here having a good time. And all right, guys, one final Coliseum video exclusive before we get to the big event. Craig DeGeorge standing by with the manager of the challenger to Hulk Hogan's WWF Championship belt. Yes, I'm talking about the manager of Andre the Giant, Craig DeGeorge, with Bobby the Brain Heenan. All right, Bobby Heenan, you know about this great WrestleMania three-quarters. Everybody does. Top to bottom, you could probably make an argument that there are 12 main eventers, but three of them that particularly stand out happen to revolve around you. Hercules against Billy Jack, handsome Harley Race going up against the Junkyard Dog, and of course... Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, and people are saying that perhaps everything in WrestleMania 3, the biggies, revolve around you. Well, that's correct, and I'm glad this is being done for Coliseum Video, because I want everybody to have documented proof. I want everybody to own this and keep this in their homes for the rest of their lives, pass it down through the generations, that I am the man who orchestrated everything. And you're going to know in a few short hours that I'm also the man that's going to be managing the heavyweight champion of the world, Andre the Giant. I'm also the man that you're going to know is going to be managing the most powerful man in wrestling, Hercules. I'm also managed the king of professional wrestling, Harley Race. And yes, pal, you're right. This this all revolves around me. Could I ask you one question? Go ahead, you're getting what, paid for it. Hey, what if it doesn't work out? See, you think like a loser. I don't. It's going to work out. Run it on your TV sets day in and day in and day in and nighttime too. You're going to see that the brain was right. I got things to do. All right, and that was the first time we've heard from Bobby Heenan here today, but it won't be the last. And very smart events and company. This event was centralized, guys, wisely and purposely within one day's driving distance to well more than half of the United States and much of the WWF Canadian market as well. Blacked out locally in the Michigan and even parts of the southern Ontario area, so it was blacked out locally live on pay-per-view to force people to come to the event or wait until a later date to order the replay on their cable systems. And I want to clarify before we get going with the show, this is not a watch-along, although a watch-along will be available very soon over on patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. It's part of that all-access tier we were talking about earlier. No, in this instance, we're going to break the show down in long form. And with that, we're about to count you down because it's time to talk all things WrestleMania. Yes, here it is, guys. It's the definitive edition of WrestleMania 3. Bigger. Better. Badder. In 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's go.
WrestleMania 3! And all right, immediately we see the famous long shot, the wide shot over top the Silverdome looking down at the insane mass of humanity below. You can argue the numbers, which we'll get into much later in the show, but what a fucking sight. Goosebumps, seeing it right now on my computer screen, one of the most iconic shots in professional wrestling history. And standing by in the ring, it's only appropriate that the man who made this all possible, the owner of the World Wrestling Federation, Vince McMahon, welcoming us to WrestleMania 3. And you can say whatever you want about Vince McMahon or Vince being the first person we see or hear in the middle of the sea of people, but he deserved it. He built this show and he deserved to soak it in. And God bless him, Howard Finkel right along his side. The first contracted employee of Vincent J. McMahon was Howard Finkel and later Titan as well. Recently celebrating 10 years with the company was the Fink. There is no better voice to be the ring announcer for a show this epic. And you may notice there's a little pause here as Vince first welcomes us to WrestleMania and then he throws it over to Aretha Franklin. And Vince has stated that that little pause in his intro was him completely blanking. He couldn't get the words out. He was overwhelmed by everything going on until he he felt the presence of his father. Look at what we did, Dad. And from there, the rest came out naturally as Vince then throws it to Aretha Franklin. And now, here to sing America, the beautiful, the queen of soul, Miss Aretha Franklin! All right, I was hoping for a little who's zooming who there. No, but she is here to perform America the Beautiful. Aretha staged on a platform at ringside in the aisleway, playing the piano, does an absolutely fantastic job. As she sings the song, we cut to images of Americana, pal, with the American flag, national monuments, other famous buildings, then the proverbial shots of the everyman workers from cops to construction workers to welders. So we've come a long way from Mean Gene Okerlund singing at WrestleMania 1 back in 1985. Hey, we had Ray Charles last year at WrestleMania 2, and then Aretha this year? These aren't just quote-unquote name singers, guys. This is a super diva. This is the queen of soul, Aretha Franklin. Give her a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T here. And interestingly, and reportedly, Aretha Franklin, a known diva herself, like to arrive late to all of her shows, and no different here, though the Detroit traffic was admittedly crazy, as you might imagine, with 90,000-plus trying to get into the parking lot of the Silverdome. Franklin reportedly got here to the show at the last minute possible to perform and almost immediately left afterwards. In fact, it was reported Aretha got there so late it prevented her from doing the dress rehearsal, but luckily it all worked out. Aretha, the pro's pro when it comes to singing, she got the job done. Fantastic job there by her. I should note, and I'm sure we'll have a soundbite of this on our April 87 edition of The Grenade, but on primetime, Gorilla Monsoon also sort of buries Aretha Franklin, stating the celebrities were great at WrestleMania, except Aretha. She left a lot to be desired, said Monsoon. 
but that he'd get into it at a later time, which he never really does. I've seen rumors that Aretha was playing diva backstage, refusing to sign autographs for people, and supposedly that included Gorilla's grandkids. He was none too pleased. But you can't win them all. Great job here tonight by the rest of the celebrities, which we'll get to in just a little bit. I think I've also heard in the past she's left immediately after her performance, refuting any opportunity for stars to mingle along with her. And you might ask, why not the Star Spangled Banner? Why was Vince gung-ho on America the Beautiful? Well, that's specifically why. Vince simply liked America the Beautiful better than the Star Spangled Banner. So wonder no longer the next time you hear America the Beautiful chosen over the actual national anthem. And as Franklin is escorted away from ringside, we see the opening match begin to enter the ring. It looks like Don Morocco, Cowboy Bob Orton, Mr. Fuji entering the ring, and that means the Can-Am connection can't be too far behind. And if you were ever going to throw around the word pageantry with the WWF, this would be the show to use it on. The event just so elegant, so graceful thus far, the way it opened, the big shot over top of the dome, Aretha Franklin singing, using the piano to tinkle the ivories, so to speak. Very sophisticated show here, beyond any other wrestling event ever at this point. I feel like if I was going to go watch this on closed circuit, I'd have to wear a tux. Not saying that's what people did. In fact, I'm sure they did not. That's just the way it comes off here to me. Very elegant show is WrestleMania 3. As we head high atop the Silverdome to the announcers. And what a sight as we can see in the background looking down at the arena. But here they are high atop the Silverdome. It's Gorilla Monsoon joined by Jesse the Body Ventura. As well as Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre. Just a bit outside. Euchre known from his Miller Lite commercials in the front row, as we talked about just a little bit ago. And also smack dab in the middle of his run is George Owens, the father character on Mr. Belvedere. Great sitcom. Loved me some Mr. Belvedere as a kid. And you know, I always found that odd. They never promoted his TV show since it was actually relevant at the time. But nevertheless, here he is, Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre, as well as Entertainment Tonight's Mary Hart. Hello, everyone. I'm John Tesh. And I'm Mary Hart. All right, Mary wearing, not really sure what the fuck that is. Very 80s, though, and hiding those $2 million insured legs. To quote the hurricane, what's up with that? And thankfully, WrestleMania has trimmed down on the celebrities this year. Yes, sorry to say, no Cab Calloway, no Clara Peller. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? But it's great to see the gorilla and the body back together again. They were in different cities, if you recall, at WrestleMania 2. Jesse out in L.A., Gorilla in Chicago. So the last time we got to see these two together was when Jesse was co-hosting Primetime Wrestling, which was about a year ago when Ventura left to Hollywood for a while and Bobby Heenan took over his duties on Primetime. So I think the last pay-per-view, the last big show, big event, that Jesse and Gorilla called together would have been Wrestle- or, excuse me, the Wrestling Classic back in November of 85, if I'm not mistaken. So it's good to see these two back together again on pay-per-view, rarely departing after this, at least until after WrestleMania 6. And I thought this was a nice way to introduce the celebrities early on. They've been all over the TV, so it's only fitting to make them feel like a fixture on this show rather than just there for the main event gigs. Bob Euchert rocking a tux again. Like I said, Mary Hart, not entirely sure what she's wearing, but both look genuinely pleased to be there. And who wouldn't be staring at a crowd this size? Wrestling or not, you know this is something special. Gorilla Monsoon gives us the old line of the electricity is in the air. It's so thick, you can cut it with a knife. The electricity that's in the air, you could cut it with a knife. Well, I'll tell you, Gorilla, I'm pumped up. I'm ready for WrestleMania 3. 
And Jesse Ventura, why, of course, he's pumped up. And so is Mary Hart. The greatest wrestling extravaganza or anything in the history of sports, and I know Mary Hart's ready, aren't you, Mary? Well, I can tell you're pumped up, Jesse, standing this close. You can tell a lot of things. I have always, always wanted to stand in the broadcast booth with the body, with the gorilla, and the youth. She can tell Jesse's pumped up. In fact, she can tell a lot of things standing this close. Oh, my, Mary. And I'm not sure if she was fed this line or not, but it's really fun. As she said, she's always wanted to be in the broadcast booth with the gorilla, the body, and the uke. Who has it? I'd love to be in there. Slap on Bobby Heenan, and it's the greatest quartet in announcer history. Are you kidding me? Gorilla, Ventura, Euchre, and Bobby Heenan? That would be tremendous. By the way, I should mention, no dark match notes here, because we're still in the pre-dark match era of WWF pay-per-views, but it's off to ringside. And the Fink, Howard Finkel, the first match standing in the ring. Good way to get things going. 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern starting time. Away we go. In the ring, it's the Can-Am Connection. Tom Zink and Rick Martell taking on the team of the Ace Cowboy, Bob Orton, and the magnificent Don Morocco, managed by Mr. Fuji. And we've talked about this on some recent editions of Primetime Wrestling, but Gorilla Monsoon, every time he says Can-Am, sounds more like Can-Am, Can-Am Connection, Jess. Now, I didn't grab a soundbite of that here, but he has said it several times on Primetime Wrestling, as mentioned. We've had a lot of audio clips of that up on past episodes of The Grenade. But if I can take you back in time for a moment, if you recall, back in our February TV edition of The Grenade, the very first WrestleMania 3 report with Mean Gene Okerlund, Gene mentions a special guest in the corner of the Can-Am Connection. And then it's never mentioned again. Well, I promised it earlier. Get ready for missing celebrity number one. Remember I said three celebrities were planned to be part of this event and then never actually made it to the show? Well, we're about to go back to a localized promo from Canada featuring Billy Red Lions interviewing the Can-Am Connection as they confirm their special guest corner man. Who is it to be? Let's listen. The team who'll be facing the magnificent Morocco and Cowboy Ace Orton, the Can-Am Connection, Rick Martel and Tom Zink. Gentlemen, certainly got your work cut out for you. Yes, WrestleMania three. What an incredible event. What an opportunity for the Can-Am Connection to show the world. Yes, 100,000 people live in Detroit and 60 countries will be seeing this event and like I said an opportunity to show the world what we can do it's not going to be easy because we're wrestling Orton and Dom Rocco. Dom Rocco what a powerhouse and Bob Orton the master of wrestling this guy knows it all and also you have to think about that Fuji that devious Fuji in that corner but we have a big surprise for Fuji maybe we won't have to worry about him so much because we have the man the legend himself Gordy Howe Yes, Gordy Howe, Tom, corner. isn't that fantastic? Right. I mean, one Marty's man ever since was that high, and, uh, you know, we grew up with him watching him. I mean, this guy is going to give us an incentive, you know, and we're going to do it for him and for all the people that are watching us. What support? Pontiac, Michigan, the Silverdome, and Gordy Howe yes. in our corner. A dream come true. I can't believe it. WrestleMania, we're going to be glad to be a part of it. So it's finally been uncovered. It was originally supposed to be hockey legend and Detroit Red Wings owned Gordy Howe in the corner of the Can-Am Connection here. Can you just imagine him checking Fuji up against the apron? The original goon of the WWF would have been Gordy Howe here at WrestleMania 3. Not sure what happened with this. Obviously, it fell through, but it was quickly dropped on TV after this one mention. And again, this was a Calgary-based localized promo. Would have been something to see Gordy Howe ringside. Of course, a former Detroit Red Wing. We're here in Pontiac, Michigan at the Silverdome. So I'm sure the fans would have loved that one. 
As for this match, I thought it was a great choice for an opener with the flashy Can-Am connection against the established veterans, the Tank and the Technician, as they call themselves. And after two years of playing corner man to Roddy Piper, Cowboy Bob Orton finally getting a match here on the show. Of course, he accompanied Piper and Orndorff to ringside at WrestleMania 1. The corner man for Roddy Piper again for the boxing match at WrestleMania 2. Cowboy Bob finally getting in the ring at WrestleMania 3. Fuji officially announcing taking over the managerial duties of one Cowboy Bob back in January. So unfortunately, no more pink hat for Cowboy Bob here. And also, no more cast either, for that matter. Now, if you're looking for a backstory to this match, these two teams had a match on TV back in January. They wound up going to a double disqualification there, though it's, it's really never been mentioned since that show. So while these two teams haven't been feuding per se, we've heard a few promos from the heels talking about their aggressiveness and experience and how it will trump the pretty boys. At least that's how they look at the Can-Am connection. And the Can-Ams here sold as up-and-coming youngsters, so ignore the fact that Rick Martel has been wrestling for just about as long as Bob Orton and Don Morocco. Not to mention Martel, a former two-time WWF Tag Team Champion with Tony Gurria, and also a former AWA World Heavyweight Champion, for that matter. But it's all good. Opening bell sounds, and we kick it off. With Morocco and Martel in the ring, the Magnificent one sporting a taped-up thigh, so he might be working with an injury here. Morocco tries to win early with the power, but gets surprised by a Martel tackle, sending the Magnificent one off his feet. Embarrassed, Morocco comes rushing and attacking Rick Martel down, but Martel right back up with an up and over in the corner and a hip toss, followed by a Hurricane Rana of sorts. Martel didn't really get up around the head of Morocco, but rather under his arms, but they covered it up nicely here. Martel with a takeover Rana for a two count, and the crowd is eating this up. Finally, Tom Zink tagged in in a double monkey flip by the Can-Ams on Morocco. Orton rushes in to save his partner, but runs right into a double hip toss as well from the Can-Am connection. They are on fire here. And the heels bail to the outside to talk things over with manager Mr. Fuji. And then back inside, Zink and Orton now in the ring. But the Cowboy finds himself in the wrong corner quickly and gets it from both members of the Can-Am connection. From there back to center ring, Zink and Orton exchange full Nelson reversals, which can't make Haynes or Hercules very happy. But it's all to set up Zink ducking as Morocco rushes in. Zink ducks out of the way, Morocco nailing his own partner. That's right, the magnificent one decks Cowboy Bob Orton, and the heels just can't seem to get the upper hand in this one. From there, Morocco tags back in, sending Zink into the ropes, who catches a knee to his back from Orton on the apron as referee Joey Morella stares directly at it then has to pretend like he didn't see it, and even questions Fuji. Hey, what happened there? Did you do something, Fuji? Morella looking right at Ortono when he lowered the boom into the back of Tom Zink. Nevertheless, the heels finally take over, Zink stumbling into a swinging neckbreaker from the magnificent Morocco. Then Orton tags in off the middle rope with a forearm drop, where his cast used to be. Might have put him away had he had the cast on there. It's at this point in the match, Gorilla Monsoon refers to Orton as the excellence of execution. You heard me right. Orton was actually the first man to receive that title from Gorilla Monsoon, but he won't be the last. Not even tonight. Back to the action. Orton and Zink crashed into each other, cracking heads down on the ground. Both men colliding and down to the mat, which makes it a perfect time to get a wide shot. An over-the-shoulder shot of Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura high atop the Silver Dome. Really cool look. As we see hot tags to both Don Morocco and Rick Martel in the ring. Martel in, and as you might guess, a house of fire here. As he whips Morocco upside down to the corner, Morocco does the flare flip over to the apron. Then Tom Zink rushes in, bringing Morocco over the top rope back into the ring the hard way. 
as we see a four-way melee breakdown. All four men in the ring, the heels, try to whip the Can-Am connection into one another, but the Can-Ams with a double reversal, seeing Morocco accidentally backdropping his own partner, Orton. Then the Can-Ams with a double drop kick on Morocco. Tom Zink back up and drop kicks Orton through the ropes to the outside, leaving Morocco in the ring with both Can-Am connection. Morocco reverses a whip off the ropes by Martel, sending Martel off the ropes. Martel coming back with an attempted crossbody, but it's caught by Morocco. However, Tom Zink behind Morocco in a schoolboy fashion on all fours. Morocco trips backwards over top of Tom Zink. Rick Martel landing on top of the magnificent one. One, two, three. The Can-Am connection will score the win in Cowboy Bob just a second too late to stop the fall. And the crowd erupts as the Can-Am connection picks up the win here. The heels in disbelief. They can't believe it. They lost to the quote-unquote pretty boys in the opener here for WrestleMania 3. Match went 5 minutes and 35 seconds. And as I said at the start of the show, we're going to take brief looks at the star ratings Dave Meltzer gave these matches. The Meltzer's star ratings, and I want to note before we start these Observer ratings, these will just be excerpts of things Dave Meltzer wrote in his Observer back in 1987. Not going to include every smarmy comment he had to make for many of these matches. Now as for this match, Meltzer says, the heels always seemed a step or two too slow and seemed to be holding the baby faces back. But this match was all action and a good opener. Two and a half stars, says DeMeltz. Now my thoughts a little more detailed here. We're going to get into those right now. So the first time I ever watched WrestleMania 3, I was a little worried about the choice of opponents for the Can-Am connection here with Orton, the Matt wrestler in Morocco, the, a little more plotting at this stage in his career. Don could still go when he wanted to, and I was glad this is one of those times I was pleasantly surprised as everyone came to work here tonight. Nicely paced opener here with the quote-unquote next tag team champions going over strong to a very big pop by the crowd, mind you, getting the crowd hyped up with an exciting babyface win to open up the show. And I kind of look at this match like the WWF itself at this time here in 1987. It's the old guard of Orton and Morocco, the old New York style, competing with the flashier modern-day style, the modern-day product that was picking up in other territories. I liken that to the Can-Am connection and their offense here. It's a good representation of the WWF here as WrestleMania 3 is essentially the point where we really begin to look at the company differently. It's gone from that old pro wrestling style now to very much sports entertainment. And I never realized until now how little offense the heels had here. But as the grizzled vets, I thought they did a good job of making the next big things look great here. And I do guess we could have seen a little more on the offense by the heels in this match, but other than that, this is everything an opener should be. Kudos to both Orton and Morocco, who worked hard here, showed their strengths in the match, and were mostly where they needed to be when it was time for a spot to go down. I'd say Morocco and Orton were showing their age here, as they were slower than they used to be, but then I realized their ages are 37 and 38. Nevertheless, they squeezed a lot into five and a half minutes of action, fast, hot, the babies go over everything you'd want in an opener. DeMeltz gave it two and a half stars. I'm going to go right around the same. I gave it two and three quarters. And as you guys know by now, I don't normally do star ratings, but for this specific show, I broke down and did it more or less really just to compare what I thought to what Dave Meltzer was rating these things back 35 years ago. But the show goes on. We continue on as we prepare for match number two of the night. Two of 12, we head off to a Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes feud package. It's really just the full Nelson challenge where Hercules attacks Billy Jack from behind, but we didn't get this back then, so I'm not complaining. 
A little bit of a feud package never hurts anybody's match. Cool little piece to give the casual fans an idea of the backstory for this matchup. As we head off now, Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with Bobby the Brain Heenan and his man, the Mighty Hercules. One of the matches in WrestleMania 3 that I personally am going to be watching with special interest pits Billy Jack Haynes. Billy Jerk. Billy right. Jack Haynes and his full Nelson against this man, the Mighty Hercules. You know, it's the same old story. And it's just like thousands of years ago when I took these chains and I pulled down the pillars of Rome. And just like I made Atlas and Samson cower at my feet, Billy Jack Haynes, you're going to feel the fear. You're going to feel the wrath. We're going to find out who the true master of the full Nelson is right here in the Pontiac Silverdome. And get it right, it is Billy Jerk Haynes. For the record, it is Billy Jack Haynes. Wow, so I first thought, wow, we get a video package for this match and a promo here from Hercules trying to put something into this match and this feud. I love it. Bobby Heenan correcting Mean Gene there. It's Billy Jerk, not Billy Jack. That's stuck with me all those years. So we've talked about it before, but once again here, no more Hernandez to the Hercules name. Drops the last name because apparently now he truly is a Greek god. Hercules talks using the chains to pull down the pillars of Rome, forcing Atlas and Samson to cower at their feet. And I got a fun story about that. When I first heard this promo back in the 80s, Hercules talking about taking down Atlas and Samson, I knew in my head, well, Atlas was Tony Atlas. Wow, they had a feud. I didn't remember that. I hadn't seen that. I would like to see that match. But who was Samson, I thought to myself. Silly Mark kid, I wasn't into the Greek gods just yet at the age of uh, seven, eight years old. But yes, Hercules talking about forcing Atlas and Samson to cower at his feet. So now apparently Hercules actually is the Hercules. I'm talking the mythological figure, which sure beats Kevin Sorbo. But I got bad news for Herc. Hercules is not a god. However, he was the son of Zeus. Not that Zeus. One thing's for certain. One thing Hercules promises at the end of the night. At the end of this match, we're going to find out who the true master of the full Nelson is. And a sidebar here on the Hercules character. I mentioned it last week, but he's evolved so much under Bobby Heenan. A great call changing managers for Hercules. Before this, Hercules just a forgotten mid-card guy. Freddie Blassie really wasn't helping anyone by 1986. And no disrespect to the legend who is classy Freddie Blassie but I felt like he was aging out of his job. It was time for him to go when Slick took over. Now, as for Slick, Slick just didn't really gel well with the Hercules character. They didn't do a whole lot here. Maybe later on, they, they worked better as power and glory, but I really didn't feel like it was either man's fault. Slick just inherited Hercules from Blassie, and they made the switch quickly over to Bobby Heenan from there. And since Hercules has been with Heenan, he's been profiled in multiple Saturday night's main events, including a match against the WWF champion Hulk Hogan then winning the recent March edition's Battle Royal, not to mention this fun upper mid-card feud here between the two powerhouses, Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes, Bobby. And I say this every year, along with Rick Martell, Hercules for the WWE Hall of Fame. Now we cut away from the Hercules promo, we head back to ringside, and there they are. Ah, yes, I would be remiss if I didn't mention those lovely, beautiful wrestling ring-shaped carts bringing the wrestlers to and from the ring. We didn't get to see these carts in the first match, but this WrestleMania marks the debut of those lovely ring carts. Now, based on my view, these carts look like what they call scissor cart-like vehicles with, with many wrestling rings placed on top. 
to drive the wrestlers to and from the ring. Pretty cool visual. Pretty clever for the time. Not sure who designed them, but really cool stuff. And with an arena this large, it made sense to give them an elevated platform to enter on so the fans could see them. But also it aided in the long walk to and from the ring, speeding the entrances and exits up quite a bit, which they really needed here. So very smart. Could they have just stuck the wrestlers in the back of a golf cart a la Jim Crockett Promotions and drove them out to the ring? Sure they could have. But we go back to that whole elegant thing I was talking about at the beginning of the show. Everything done with class here at WrestleMania 3. And we'd see these carts again. They'd bust them back out at WrestleMania 6. I just felt like they added something a little extra. And yes, it couldn't be done in the smaller venues or places like Trump Plaza, which had all the steps on the way to ringside. But as I got to think of that, honestly, without the ring cart, not sure how Andre the Giant would have gotten to ringside. Again, probably an off-screen golf cart ride, I'd have to imagine. But yes, I couldn't go this show without mentioning those lovely ring carts. And while we're at it, before we get to the match, should also mention the lovely Federettes are now shown at ringside. Yes, they're out in full force here at WrestleMania 3, helping the wrestlers off the carts and taking their ring jackets to the backstage area. Some of our lovely Federettes with their new uniforms. You know, they were chasing me around all get last out. night. Get I got out. here early and I couldn't shake them Federettes for nothing. Give me a break. So we get to this match, Billy Jack Haynes and the Mighty Hercules, and we saw that brief video package which showed the full Nelson challenge to set up the feud with the Heenan family, but this actually all started back in January on an edition of Primetime Wrestling, a match between Billy Jack Haynes and the King Harley Race. Haynes had Race locked in the full Nelson when Bobby Heenan attacked from behind, Haynes clearing the ring of both men, which led to Bobby Heenan promising to find someone who could match power, even overpower, Billy Jerk Haynes. And after using the torture rack backbreaker as his finisher for some time, Hercules randomly started using the full Nelson as his finisher as well, the same finish as Billy Jack Haynes. From there, Hercules issued that open challenge as we saw in the brief video clip for anyone who could break it, namely Billy Jack Haynes, and out comes Haynes, but it's a setup and a beatdown. As Bobby Heenan distracts Haynes, allowing Hercules to attack from behind, lay Haynes out, and then, and only then, apply the full Nelson to the weakened Haynes, but even still, Haynes appears as if he's going to break the hold. Billy Jack Haynes going to break the full Nelson of Hercules? It seemed like the mighty one sensed it was coming, so he released his own full Nelson and laid Billy Jack Haynes back out on the mat. Now the story would go on. Some weeks later, we would also see Billy Jack Haynes squaring off against King Kong Bundy on an edition of Superstars of Wrestling. And much like the Harley Race match, Billy Jack Haynes winds up getting Bundy in the full Nelson leading to Bobby Heenan attacking from behind, causing the disqualification. And once Haynes turns his attention to Heenan, out comes Hercules for the attack from behind. Once again, the Heenan family laying out Billy Jack Haynes from there. It's been promos almost on the weekly. Billy Jack Haynes promising to break the neck of the Mighty One. And in rebuttal, Hercules saying, oh, no, no, you got that backwards, my friend. I'm going to break your neck. Both men promising that the other will leave here on a stretcher tonight. Very violent promos from both. Billy Jack Haynes, downright scary. And here we go. It's Herc and Billy Jerk. Herc and Jerk? Power and Glory reference there, huh? No, but seriously, Battle of the Full Nelsons. The Full Nelson, a very believable hold when you have a guy the size of a Hercules or Haynes applying it to you, that's for sure. Dave Hebner, the referee here, as the bell sounds, the two men butt heads like bulls in the middle of the ring exchanging words, and the feeling out process begins. Hercules sneaks in a nice knee lift, then tosses Haynes into the corner but misses a rushing elbow charge, and from there, Billy Jack taking over with a nice-looking gorilla press. Great camera shot as well of that. Haynes picking Hercules up over his head in the big gorilla press slam. 
and Billy Jack already looking for the full Nelson. Haynes trying to lock it on, but Hercules rushes to the ropes to prevent it from happening. Wise move there by the heel. Haynes with chops galore on the chest of Hercules, and boy, do they make some sound. Billy Jack whips Hercules into the far corner, but Herc bounces back out with a stiff-ass clothesline. A sweet-ass clothesline smashes into Billy Jack Haynes and takes him down. From there, Hercules wisely works over the back of Billy Jack Haynes. A lot of people forget how good Hercules actually was in the 1980s for a guy with his build. Hercules then, with a vertical suplex, goes for the cover, but pulls Billy Jack up on two. Never a wise move there. As Haynes begins to fight back, he tries for his own suplex, but he can't get Herc up because his back is hurt, guys. Great psychology by the two men. And Hercules back on the offense, continuing to work the back of Haynes. A nice backbreaker and hits a press slam of his own, taking Haynes down to the match. Hercules then looking for it, looking for the full Nelson. And he locks it on. He has the hold applied. Hercules has the full Nelson on Billy Jack Haynes. But as Gorilla Monsoon points out 50 times, it appears Hercules has failed to lock his fingers. He's got him right He's in the right it. position. He's got it. He's, He's got it on. I don't know if the fingers are locked. He's hooked it. He's got it in pretty deep, Gorilla. He might have a handful of hair as well. No, look at that, Jess. The fingers are not locked. Well, that's the only sa- thing saving Billy Jack right now. Couldn't lock those fingers just holding onto the hair right now. Look at Heenan. He's saying, get those arms up. Get those fingers locked. He definitely has to get the hands up higher on the head. He's got to get those fingers locked. There, he's going for it. He's trying to do still it. Still not there. Look at four or five inches between. But yet, look at He's still taking Billy Jack out. Well, he's cutting the flow of blood to the brain, even with that kind of a hold. Jack. Now, what does that mean? That means the hold is not completely applied. The full force of the hold is not applied. However, a man, the strength of Hercules, still forces Haynes down to his knees. His hand is dropped twice, but the referee raises it a third time. But Billy Jack slowly begins to fight his way back up to his feet, and Haynes keeping his hands in the air as he finally begins to power his way out of the full Nelson hold. And as Billy Jack finally begins to break the hold, Hercules releases and clobbers him from behind in the back of the head. Both men back to their feet, but we wind up with a double clothesline taking both men out of the match for the moment. But it's Billy Jack Haynes who is back up first and takes over control. Billy Jack delivers a series of clotheslines before coming off the middle rope with the old Lawler fist drop. Haynes looking to deliver another maneuver. He doesn't know what to do. Billy Jack runs the ropes and a a leg drop. Oh no, you can't do that, brother. Billy Jack drops the big leg across Hercules, but instead of going for the cover, Haynes looking for his own full Nelson here. As Billy Jack locks it on. Now it's Haynes with the full Nelson on the mighty Hercules. As Hercules staggers to the ropes, both men fall through the ropes out to the floor, forcing Billy Jack to release the hold. But it doesn't take long. Billy Jack reapplies the full Nelson on the floor. Now that don't make much sense. As Haynes has the full Nelson locked on on the outside, out of nowhere, a giant pile of saliva spews out of his mouth all across the back of Hercules. That's just nasty. Oh, that's nasty. Nevertheless, Haynes won't release the hold. And both men wind up getting counted out of the ring in 7 minutes and 52 seconds. No winner here. A double countout is this matchup between Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes. But the action isn't over yet. Oh, not by long shot. Post-match, immediately after the countout, Bobby Heenan from behind with a knee into the back of Billy Jack Haynes, forcing him to release the full Nelson on Hercules. Haynes begins to lay chase to Bobby Heenan around ringside and into the ring, Bobby getting the attention of Billy Jack Haynes while Hercules from behind sneaks in, 
wrapping the big chain around his hand, smashing Billy Jack with a fistful of steel. Down goes Haynes, and the blade comes out. Clearly, visibly, you can see Billy Jack begin to take to blading that forehead. But Hercules not done yet, smashing Billy Jack a total of four times with the chain wrapped around his fist right into the forehead of Haynes. Really good bumps here by Billy Jack as well. Loved his slow motion falls to the mat. And yes, indeed, Billy Jack Haynes busted wide open. Nothing like some color in the second of 12 matches. Hey, guys. Then adding insult to injury as if he hadn't done enough. Hercules slapping on that patented full Nelson after the match and then tossing the bloody Haynes down to the mat. To which Jesse Ventura quips. Look at the blood just spewing out of the forehead of Billy Jack Haynes. You know what they call that, Gorilla? That's called winning the battle. Not necessarily the war, but he definitely won the battle. Ah, yes, that's not necessarily winning the war, but that is definitely winning the battle here tonight. Hercules laying out Billy Jack Haynes. A double countout leads to Hercules bloodying up his opponent. Good stuff, and the feud will obviously continue from here. We go and we look at DeMeltz's star ratings for this match. Dave had this to say. He said the match started off at a good pace for about the first four minutes. He says that Hercules really looks unhealthy and got a little tired at that point. Good match, but Hernandez is looking kind of stiff. Dave gave this one two and three quarters stars. Now, as for my thoughts on the match, I thought these two big guys that could really actually move and actually get things done in the ring. So rather than your usual slow and plotting strongman match, these guys gave us a lot here to be excited about. From the headbutting showdown to kick things off to the feats of strength, the, the big gorilla press slams, the wicked clothesline delivered by Hercules at one point. Just really impressive stuff throughout most of this match. These guys like to work with each other as well, and it really showed here. And this is just my opinion. I'm just guessing here. Billy Jack likely wasn't supposed to lose the full Nelson when they tumbled through the ropes to the floor, which would make more sense than reapplying the hold when you landed on the outside. So I felt the finish was a little screwy. Why reapply the hold outside the ring? But the angle after the match and the blood works totally made up for all of that, at least for me. Meltzer gave this thing two and three quarter stars. I'm going to go right on with him. I'm going to say two and three quarter stars as well. And the post-match shenanigans there really aided to that. As we move on, well, this has got to be somebody's favorite match, guys. It's time for the six-man mixed tag team match with the big guys and the little guys, as they say. As we're off to Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with King Kong Bundy. And along with Bundy, it's Little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook. All right, King Kong Bundy, I've been told that big trouble comes in little packages. Well, you know, once again, Oakland, you have to be corrected because big trouble comes in 450-pound packages like King Kong Bundy. You know, Hillbilly Jim, I want you most of all. But if those other two midgets get in my way, I'll squash all three of them right in the middle of the ring. They'll have to pick you three up with a bladder. All right, and Bundy says he has no problem squashing the midgets, which seems to disturb his own partners. A little foreshadowing here. As we're back to Mean Gene, this time he's standing by Hillbilly Jim, Little Beaver, and the Haiti Kid. Little Beaver, the Haiti Kid, and Hillbilly Jim going against King Kong Bundy and company here on WrestleMania 3. We sure are, and I'll tell you something. I'm mighty concerned here today, Gene, because, you know, I'm not really worried about myself in this match here because I know how King Kong Bundy is, and I believe I can take whatever he dishes out. But I'm worried about my little buddies here, and I'm here to tell you, and I'm telling everybody, and you two guys, I'm going to do my doggest to make sure everything's okay with you little fellas. All right, I thank you very much, Hillbilly Jim. A very unusual tag team bout indeed. Six man, Hillbilly Jim and his two midget partners going against King Kong Bundy and his two midget partners. All right, and Hillbilly Jim with his quote-unquote little buddies here promised to do his doggest to make sure nothing happens to his midget partners. And if doing your doggest means nothing at all, Hillbilly wasn't lying. 
and Hillbilly scooping his buddies up, one in each arm, as if they're not adult men. Come on, Hillbilly, do better. And we're off to the ring for the big match, or the little match, or the, the, well, whatever. We're off to the ring for mixed tag team action. It's Hillbilly Jim, Little Beaver, and the Haiti Kid taking on the trio of King Kong Bunny, Lord Littlebrook, and Little Tokyo. No feud here, no backstory here, just a novelty match. Seems like every stadium event required a midget match to, quote-unquote, showcase the variety. And it's quite the variety of international flavor here, a true hodgepodge. As you look around the ring, we have an Englishman, a Japanese, a Native American, a Haitian, a hillbilly, and Joyzy. Yes, the man from Atlantic City, New Jersey, King Kong Bundy. The team is out first on the cart, followed by Hillbilly Jim and his little buddies to don't go messing with a country boy, which we don't get on the Peacock version. Jim and Haiti Kid do a little do si in the ring, while Little Beaver with a nice Indian dance, if you will, all set to Hillbilly Jim's theme, and, and it works here. Fun little stuff there by the baby faces. Jim even busting out the old cartwheel before the match, which is probably the best he's going to look here. Referee for this one, Jack Lotz. Yes, sir. Lotz was there when Backlund defeated Superstar Graham for the WWF title. He was there when Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik for the world title to begin the Hulkamania era. Most recently, you might remember Lotz as the referee for the boxing match at WrestleMania 2 between Roddy Piper and Mr. T. So he goes from legendary world title changes to the boxing match main event in New York last year to this. And ironically, this also marks Jack Lotz's final WrestleMania appearance, having appeared in all of the first three WrestleManias. The little guy's ages here? I found this interesting. Haiti Kid, 33. Okay. Little Tokyo, 45. Wow. Hmm. Little Beaver, 53 years old. Interesting. Lord Littlebrook, 58 years of age. Lord Littlebrook pushing 60 here, wrestling at WrestleMania 3. Gotta be on the short list of the oldest wrestlers ever to compete, though I think Vince McMahon now heads that list. And I should note, no Bobby Heenan here ringside for this match, and we learn later on, Bobby says he doesn't do midgets. And I'm not really sure if it was a semantics thing, where there was simply no time for Heenan to be involved here, or if they wanted the manager of the main event challenger away from this comedy nonsense early on the show. I think I'll go with the latter. And we did get some foreshadowing leading in on TV to this matchup. Bundy repeatedly warning the midgets to stay out of his way, or he said he would splatter them into the third row. Yikes. That can't bode well. Hopefully, they heed Bundy's warning here. Hillbilly Jim on the other side has been promising pretty much every week on TV, assuring his little buddies he won't let anything happen to him here tonight. And uh, we'll leave that there for now. And as we head to the ring for action in this six-man mixed tag, Bob Euchre joins commentary, and he says he loves him some beaver. I bet you do, Bob. The Haiti Kid and Little Tokyo get it going for the match, and almost immediately we get a four-man midget crisscross spot with the heels running into each other, followed by the babyfaces doing a little rowboat action on the heel midgets. And as the two elders take over for action in the ring, Little Brook and Little Beaver, we get these comments from Jesse Ventura and Bob Euchre. Got two of the greatest of all time in there right now, Jess. I still, I'm hoping to see Bundy put the big kibosh on one of these oh, little guys. Oh, come on. You're kidding me. What I mean, a saddest. They have to bring Aunt Jemima spatula out for <laughs> Please. <laughs> Marinated mushrooms, that's what it will be. <laughs> so the body wanting to see Bundy squash one of these little guys 
says they would need Ann Jemima's spatula to scoop them up off the mat. Bob Euchre doesn't miss a beat. Says marinated mushrooms is what it would be. Little Beaver in and out of the ring, all over the ring, sneaks in a shot on the gut, or the boiler as Euchre calls it, of an unsuspected King Kong Bundy as Little Brook tags in King Kong Bundy. And Bundy wants it Beaver. Can these two go one-on-one? I believe the rule has to be Bundy and the big man, Hillbilly Jim. But Little Beaver, he's not backing down from anybody. He calls Bundy on. You got it right. Little Beaver throws a dropkick on King Kong Bundy. And as you might suspect, Bundy doesn't move an inch. Very funny sight there. And Little Beaver, nobody's fool, immediately tags out the Hillbilly Jim. Fun comedy spot there. Little Beaver, great sight to see Beaver dropkicking the thigh of King Kong Bundy. Bundy not even selling it. Beaver realizes what he's got himself into and quickly makes the tag. In comes Hillbilly Jim to a monster pop. Wow, talk about a live crowd. And that pop continues as we see the two big guys in the ring for the first time in the match. Hillbilly Jim takes over on Bundy and takes him down with a big clothesline and a nice-looking elbow drop by Jim. Hillbilly hitting that jumping elbow drop invites his little buddies in to make a triple cover. Hillbilly Jim Beaver and the Haiti Kid all pile on top of King Kong, but Bundy kicks out of the cover from all three of his opponents. And just to make Hillbilly even more of a liar... Smack dab in the middle of this match over on the Coliseum video version. We get yet another reminder, another promo from Hillbilly Jim. I'll tell you, it's been on my mind for months now. Ever since I knew this match was signed, I'm so excited. But you know something? The only thing I'm really worried about, I'm not worried about King Kong Bundy personally hurting me because I took that man's best shot. But I'm worried about him hurting my little buddies. And I told those guys, and I'm telling the people, and I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to let him hurt my little buddies. I'm going to stand by them 100%. And I've got something up my sleeve for that fellow. All right, we'll look for it. It's certainly been a big issue, that crushing factor. We'll see if it develops. All right, so once again, mid-match, Hillbilly Jim vowing to protect his little buddies at all costs. Obviously foreshadowing the inevitable here. As Bundy takes over control in the ring on Hillbilly Jim, Little Beaver sneaks in and clocks Bundy in the head with his moccasin shoe right across the head. I wrote LOL, just clocks him. Makes a hell of a noise. And in future shoot interviews, Bundy admitted that stung like a son of a bitch. However, King Kong takes his frustrations with Beaver out on Hillbilly Jim, clotheslining poor Hillbilly upside his head. And into the corner, from there, Bundy delivering a pair of short avalanche splashes in the corner as Little Beaver comes in again to save Hillbilly Jim. Remember, it was Jim promising to take care of his little buddies. It seems to be Little Beaver trying to take care of Hillbilly Jim here. And Bundy, he's finally had enough. King Kong grabs Little Beaver for his interference, picks him up in the air, and slams him hard, driving him down to the mat. To monster oohs and ahs from the crowd in attendance, but it doesn't end there. Bundy stares down at Beaver momentarily and then drops the big elbow on the little guy, and the referee immediately calls for the disqualification in four minutes and 20 seconds. Hillbilly Jim and company gonna win this match, but the damage is already done. Poor little Beaver laying there flat out in the middle of the ring. Now, post-match, Bundy goes to finish Beaver off once and for all. King Kong Bundy looking for the big splash on Little Beaver, but it's the Haiti Kid and even Bundy's own midget partners, Tokyo and Little Brook, grabbing Beaver by his lifeless limbs and dragging him out of harm's way. Meanwhile, Hillbilly Jim recovers in the corner, and Bundy takes off out of the ring as all of the midgets, well, sans Beaver, calling for Bundy to get back in the ring. They're looking to do a little damage themselves, so... Hillbilly Jim was the one that made the promise to protect Little Beaver, which clearly he didn't, but it was Beaver's own buddies 
the other little guys who saved him from being put away permanently by the big splash of King Kong Bunny. And we're going to talk a lot more about Beaver and this slam and elbow drop in just a minute. We get back to the action, though, here just for a second. Hillbilly Jim picking Little Beaver up as if he was a wounded animal, carrying him around the ring, the lifeless Little Beaver. And it looks as if Beaver's getting pretty heavy in the arms of Hillbilly Jim. He begins to try to prop Beaver up in the corner on the, uh, on the top turnbuckle before you can see Beaver kind of talk with Hillbilly Jim. He, he's probably saying, just lay me down, Jim. Jim finally and happily laying Little Beaver down on the mat momentarily there as King Kong Bundy will ride away from the ring alone. And while all of this is going on, you can visibly see the road agent Blackjack Lanza standing at the ring, wildly motioning with his hands for everyone involved to get the fuck out of the ring. We got more important shit to do here, guys. Lanza frantically motioning, captured right on camera, telling everybody in the ring to get the fuck back to the locker room. We got a schedule to meet here. As we're off to the star ratings of Dave Meltzer, he says, for what it was, it wasn't that bad. Neither of the big guys can wrestle, and two of the midgets are already eligible for social security. Dave says, that's no exaggeration, folks. They're in the moolah age group. Dave gives this match a star. He says, only for the comedy. And now I'm going to give you my thoughts on the match, and then we're going to look at some quotes made about this match by Hillbilly Jim, King Kong Bundy, and even Alice Cooper. Plus, we have a question lined up with one of our listeners that I'll be answering. And my first thought is probably naturally everyone's first thought. First of all, why is King Kong Bundy working this particular match on the card? Now, as a kid, I loved the little beaver spots here. And even now, I give it a little chuckle when I see it. But what a shit match. Nothing happening here. And how does Bundy go from steel cage main event to this? And then he can't even put away Hillbilly Jim, of all people. I mean, come on. Sticking Bundy against pretty much anyone else left off this card would have been perfectly fine. Uh, Why not even Bundy and Kamala? Remember, they had been building up a battle of the splashes between Bundy and Kamala. Why not throw this in here? And I'm also not a fan of a countout and a DQ in two out of the first three matches on WrestleMania. Seriously, what's up with it? You can't have a finish here. Bundy can't drop the splash and the elbow without somebody securing a pinfall before that happened. Like, seriously, if you wanted to protect Bundy and Hillbilly Jim, I get it. But why not have one of the little guys pin one of the other little guys? And according to King Kong Bundy on some of his future shoot interviews, he said he only dropped the elbow on Beaver, but the little guys from both sides were supposed to get in between Bundy and Beaver after the body slam to spare Beaver any further harm. But he says they were late in their queue, and if he had held back too long, it would have looked way too obvious. Hence the big elbow drop. Now, watching Beaver get squashed is always fun but I've read things that claim Bundy put Beaver in poor health after this matchup with a bad back forcing him to retire. Now, remember, Beaver was already 53 coming into this match. This also eventually led to Beaver's death, supposedly, many years later in the 1990s. Now, who knows if that's true? Beaver was already up there in age at this point, and it would have been nice if Bundy protected him a little better, especially on that slam. The elbow didn't look as nasty as that body slam did. He drove Beaver down, and what a spectacle it was. What a sight it was. And then Hillbilly Jim carrying around the lifeless body of Little Beaver afterwards. That was a little disturbing to look at. Now, Meltzer gave this a star overall strictly for the comedy. I really don't know how to rate this match, so I'll just kind of stay in line with Meltzer here. I want to give it less than a star, but the comedy, I I could see you can give it up to a star rating, Dave. So I'm not really going to argue or refute that one either. 
Now, here's what Hillbilly Jim had to say about this match. He says, post-match, I'm carrying Little Beaver to the back. He felt as heavy as carrying 50 stones, and I had to carry him all the way to the back dressing room because they didn't have a little cart to take us back. It only took us out there. Remember, Bundy rode it back, and I guess there wasn't one for Hillbilly Jim and his guys. Hillbilly said, this ain't no pun. He was dead weight just laying in my arms. 140 pounds laying in your arms. And you're trying to carry this with your arms bent like 300 yards all the way back. He says it was like a strongman contest. Now, Alice Cooper, the rock star, who will be accompanying Jake the Snake to the ring later in the night, had this to say after the matchup. He was standing backstage where he was witnessing all four of the little guys yelling at King Kong Bundy after the match. He says he overheard one of them yelling at Bundy, You said you weren't going to slam us! Cooper said in response, Bundy was going, I'm sorry, guys, I'm, I'm sorry. In a very sheepish voice, Cooper said it was so funny to witness these little guys giving Bundy the what for, and Bundy really apologizing, feeling so, I'm sorry, guys, I didn't mean to really do that. So you get a different story from everyone, but for what it was, still a very memorable piece of history. And now we get our first question of the night. We get a question from listener Steve Bennett from Twitter, asks, Does anyone know if Bundy was upset about being in a comedy gimmick match on this card after being in the main event the year before? Seems like he left not long after this, so wondering if that played a part. So I did a little digging, and I kind of already knew this, but I wanted to fact check here. According to King Kong Bundy in 1987, he wasn't being paid that well, or at least what he felt he deserved for his work in the ring. And as we've covered here on The Grenade and the house shows for January, February, March, Bundy doing a lot of C-Town main events against Coco Beware, also working Jake Roberts on some of the undercards as well. But in the interim, Bundy got a job offer on the side to do an ad for a computer company, that company being Head Start by Vindex, which was sold to Bundy as being a little Dutch company. So naturally, Bundy took the money and did the ad, figuring that the ad would only air overseas and nobody in the States would ever see it. But before too long... That ad made its way to the United States in TV commercials and in magazines like USA Today, Newsweek, Sports Illustrated, and Time. And when Vince McMahon saw it, well, you could imagine he was extremely angry. That's putting it lightly, pal. Bundy argued with McMahon he was an independent contractor and thus should be able to work deals outside of the WWF. Vince, though, argued back that Bundy was using his wrestling likeness from Vince's company and that McMahon should be in on the financial deals and receive a cut. Bundy knew that was it for him in the WWF, as McMahon didn't want any of his stars doing anything that went outside of his company walls. So after seeing the ad, Bundy said that McMahon treated him very differently, and his once-monster push was dwindling down to almost nothing. Now, Bundy wound up quitting the company by January, the beginning of January 1988, He did come back and do a fill-in date at a Madison Square Garden show in February of 88, substituting for the one-man gang. However, Bundy finishes up with the WWF the first week of January 1988, so he's still here for another good nine months. Obviously, he'll also be part of the upcoming Survivor Series as well. But yeah, that's the long and winding story that is the King Kong Bundy versus the quote-unquote midgets match. And nobody ever called Hillbilly Jim out on uh, protecting his little buddies. That's one guy I wouldn't want as my tag team partner. And we take a brief break in the action as we go backstage to entertainment tonight's Mary Hart. She's lined herself up an interview with the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Or so she thinks. 
Well, as you can see, it is already an exciting event. And right now, I am standing here with the lovely Elizabeth, whose pleasure it is all mine. It's nice to meet you, Elizabeth, but are you just a little trepidatious about today? Oh, Very. trepidatious is the word. You're hurt, you're hurt. You must be fascinated with the macho man, Randy Savage. You want to ask me any question? I'll answer them one by one. Go ahead. To tell you the truth, I was really looking forward to talking to the lovely Elizabeth because About she's the macho man Randy Savage and her kind of heavyweight champion, huh? Yeah. Is yes. it always this yes. way? Oh. Wow! Can't believe it, man. Fascinating is the word of the day, and enthusiasm is where I go, Elizabeth. Down that aisle. Yeah, Wait a minute, right. Elizabeth, I'd love to talk you to you a little bit later on. Numbers on the back of my license plate. You are a real charm. All right, so Mary wanted to interview Liz one-on-one, but the macho man cuts her off before Liz can even speak. Mary Hart wanting to know if Miss Elizabeth is trepidatious. Trepidatious is the word, aha! Uh-huh. And since Elizabeth can't get a word in edgewise, Mary Hart asks her if this is the way it always is, but no time for a response. Savage again cuts Elizabeth off and sends her off to the match, even though it doesn't happen for quite a while yet. The Macho Man shooing Elizabeth away from the promo. Macho then telling Mary Hart if she wants to talk to Elizabeth that his phone number is on the back of his license plate. Try finding that. Mary then referring to the Macho Man there as a real charm. Phone number's on the back of my license plate. You are a real charm. Near the end of the promo, classic Macho Man line, Fascination is the word of the day, and enthusiasm's where I go. Fascinating is the word of the day, and enthusiasm is where I go. Not sure any of that made sense, but it doesn't have to when you're the macho man Randy Savage. As we're off to our next match, we get another highlight package, this time of the feud between the King Harley Race and the Junkyard Dog. And then it's to the back once again, Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with Bobby the Brain Heenan, the King Harley Race, and... Moolah? Well, there very well could be a new king of wrestling in the Junkyard Dog, or there could be a re-coronation of the current king, Harley Race. You got it right, Oakland. A reincarnation. Keep it that way. The queen of wrestling, the fabulous Moolah. Gene, it'll be my pleasure to crown the king of wrestling once again, Harley Race, and to have Junkyard Dog bowing to the king as he's supposed to. Moolah, I'm giving you right now the crown jewels. You take care of this real well, and then you give it to the king after the match and put it on his head, as only the queen of wrestling can do. All right, and we talked about this on the grenade. We even played a soundbite of Bobby Heenan promising that Samantha Fox would be the keeper of the crown for this match. Samantha Fox. Samantha Fox. She is going to be keeper of the crown. She's going to present the crown to the winner, either the king of wrestling, Harley Race, or the junkyard dog. She has eyes for me, you know. Yeah, she said she, she liked your lips. She said, take a look at the kisser on that guy. We'll be back in a moment. But apparently Fox backed out at the last minute, and thus we get the next best thing, Moolah? Moolah now dubbed the Queen of Wrestling to go along with the King Harley Race, at least for this match. And for those wondering who Samantha Fox is, was back in 1987? Well, she had been a teenage nude pinup model before breaking into the rock star genre in the latter half of 86, going into 87 over in the UK. So yes, we go from a teenage nude pinup model to the fabulous moolah. Even trade there, I suppose. So it's the King Harley Race and the Queen, the fabulous moolah. Could you imagine the kids moolah and Harley Race would have had? Ugh, I shudder the thought. But tough as nails, I bet. In the promo, Harley Race, 
More of the same saying the JYD will bow and kneel to the king at the end of this one. Mula, however, looked like a deer in headlights here. Like they just pulled her into the spot last second. And she has no idea what the fuck is going on, but she will be the keeper of the crown for this matchup. The crown is on the line. The winner of this match will be crowned the king. And we heard from one side of things. Now let's go back to Mean Gene yet again, this time with the Junkyard Dog. A very curious Junkyard Dog. After the smoke clears in this one, you feel you're going to be wearing the crown? Just as sure as I'm black in a day's Sunday, Mean Gene. I'm going to be wearing that crown. And you know what? I think the boy's been sitting a little bit too long, you know what I mean? <laughs> on the throne? On the throne. It's time for him to move over and let the doll sit there all alone on the throne with that crown upon his head. Grab them cakes, indeed. And listen to the reception. The of opponent. The Junkyard Dog. Listen to the ovation here by this capacity crowd for JYD, the Junkyard Dog, and look at the look on his face, Jensen. Well, I'll tell you what, they love him here at the Silver Dome, the JYD, but he's got to step in there with that, that man right there, the King Harley Race. Well, the stipulations in this match, the loser must kneel and bow to the King. And there's the crown right there. All right, and JYD says, as sure as he is black, JYD is going to be the new king of the WWF. Harley's been sitting on that throne a little too long. And did you hear that pop for the JYD? Unbelievably over his junkyard dog, and they're not even really utilizing him. Or, or maybe they are, at least to his physical abilities. We'll talk a lot more about the dog at the end of this matchup. As we head into this match, we go all the way back to the January 3rd edition of Saturday night's main event. In the middle of a match between JYD and Harley Race, the dog stealing the king's garb, sauntering around the ring, wearing the king's cape and crown, provoking Bobby Heenan to get involved in their matchup, leading to a disqualification. Now, post-match, that's when Harley Race lowered the boom, took JYD out, and eventually we see Heenan force the nearly unconscious dog to quote-unquote kiss the feet of Harley Race. And for this match, not only is the crown on the line, the winner will walk out the new king of the WWF, but the loser must also bow and kneel before said king. And I never really noticed this until now, but had Bobby Heenan accompanied Bundy to the ring, three of his four matches at WrestleMania were in the first four matches on the card. So getting Bobby Heenan's stuff out of the way early to prep him for the main event, never noticed that before. Match placement, very important. And WWF clearly took that into consideration. Bobby Heenan, Harley Race, Mula riding the ring cart out to ringside with the crown placed on a royal pillow of sorts. The keeper of the crown, at least for tonight, the queen of wrestling, fabulous Mula. Bob Euchre still on commentary from the previous match. He gets excited and shares his lust here for the fabulous one. Listen to this. Euchre, what are you Mula. excited about? It's yeah, Mula. Queen. She's here. No wonder you guys are here all the time. The moon is full and so am I. I gotta get with Mula. I'm leaving. See you guys later. Oh, my. Where, where you going? Euchre's in love with Mula. Bailing out of the broadcast position, Mr. Baseball himself. Wow, did he take off this? All right, Euchre excited as all hell, sharing his lust for Mula, and leaves commentary to go find her. Eh, good luck with that one, Bob. But she's right there, Euchre, right there at ringside if you really want to find her. 
Got to wonder if these lines were actually planned for Samantha Fox and they didn't bother changing them for Euke. Would have made more sense for Euchre to lust after Samantha Fox. But having some lust for Moolah seems like classic Euchre comedy as well. As from there, grab Dim Cakes, Blairs, and the dog, like we talked about, just so over in the WWF up until a certain point. And if it weren't for those demons and Hulk Hogan's cock blocking a couple years earlier, it would have been sky's the limit for the JYD back in, say, 84-85 time. As the referee for this one, the always smiling Jack Kruger. Sarcasm there. And for the second time tonight, Bobby Heenan distracting his charges opponent. But this time it doesn't work so well. JYD sees Race coming and takes it to the king. Harley does manage to toss the dog out to the floor, but Race on the apron missing a diving headbutt off the apron to the outside. Great spot there, which Harley Race misses. From there, the king takes a backwards bump over the top rope back into the ring, and then a backwards bump right back over the top to the floor, busting his face on the apron in the process. Great bumping here by the king. Harley back up onto the apron yet again, the dog scooping him up over the top rope and slamming him back in the ring. JYD then applies an abdominal stretch. Don't see the dog use that all too often. Gorilla points out that the dog doesn't have it applied properly, leading to Harley Race hip-blocking his way out of the hold. And Harley Race drops a headbutt onto the skull of the dog, but hurts himself instead. Come on, Harley, you gotta know. You can't hurt the noggin of the JYD. And the dog comes right back again. Irish whip into the corner, sends Harley Race backwards over the top turnbuckle, out of the ring and onto the floor yet again. Then back inside once more. JYD down on all fours with some crawling headbutts on the king. But Bobby Heenan distracting the dog. And Race sneaks up behind with a nice-looking belly-to-belly suplex for the quick win. Three minutes and 20 seconds. And even though it looked like the dog kicked out on three, I don't think he was supposed to. Harley Race scoring the quick win there in a very fast-paced match. And meanwhile, post-match, the fabulous Moolah presents Harley Race with his cape and crown as they place a chair in the middle of the ring for Harley to sit on as the JYD, per pre-match stipulations, must now bow and kneel before the king of the World Wrestling Federation. And the fans are against it. They tell the dog, don't do it, dog. But JYD gives Harley a little curtsy bow, bends his knees. But that's not good enough for Bobby Heenan and company. They want the full bow. And hey, man, you signed the contract. You keep your word. The dog stalls for a second, but does indeed keep his word. Cheap win or not, Harley Race gets his bow. JYD bends over and a little bow to the King Harley Race. The King jumps up out of his chair to gloat to the fans as the dog picks up the folding chair. Harley was just sitting in and cracks it across the head of one Harley race. Down goes the king as JYD steals his royal robe, the dog. Leaving the Silverdome with the king's cloak around his shoulders and the Jerry Lawler-esque music playing the great gate of Kiev in a feel-good moment as a fan holds up a sign that reads, Beware of the dog. JYD loses the match, he keeps his word and bows before the king, and he goes so far as to even crown the king, that is with a steel chair over the top of the head, the dog then stealing the robe of Harley Race, putting it on for himself, and riding away to a sea of fans and a loud ovation. Sadly, this was set to be the Junkyard Dog's swan song. His demons were getting the best of him, 
and as documented on recent episodes of The Grenade, Dog had been no-showing random house shows left and right for the last couple months, which was a major no-no, especially when he was part of the six-man elimination main events on those shows. Thus, the dog been phased out during the March TV tapings. They even halt production on an upcoming JYD Coliseum video, and he finishes up here to a nice send-off. Surprisingly, the crowd's still going nuts as he leaves in the cape of Harley Race. You'd never know this was supposed to be his last night. Vince McMahon would never fire someone this over with the crowd for no real good reason back then. Now, ironically here, a couple months later, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Iron Sheik would suffer a similar fate. Both men released from the company after being caught with marijuana in their possession. Worse yet, the two men were bitter rivals on TV, yet traveling together on the road. It made the news everywhere, and thus Duggan and the Sheik were fired from the WWF, albeit temporarily for Duggan. So with Hacksaw fired, JYD was rehired to replace Hacksaw Duggan's spot on the card. Unfortunately for JYD, he never got another shot at anything relatively close to real push here after his return. Now as for Moolah as the queen of wrestling, this was a one-off for her. I'm sure much to the relief of Harley Race. Now as for Meltzer's thought on this match, he says, bye-bye, doggy. Race took a few great bumps. Give him credit for doing the best possible with absolutely the second worst wrestler in the business. Who's the first? Meltz goes on to say, whatever stars race might deserve, the performance of JYD was enough to erase them. Meltzer gives this match a star. That's the same as the Little Beaver match, to be clear. Now, as for my thoughts, I was a huge JYD fan back then, and I always took race as a serious threat in the ring. So when this first happened back in 87, this was easily one of the main matches I was anticipating as a kid. Now, of course, back then, words like work rate weren't thrown around unless you got the dirt sheets, which I had no idea even existed in the 1980s. I just knew that I liked Harley Race, and I knew I enjoyed the JYD's swag. And I was really looking forward to this one. And while Dog didn't do a whole lot here, Bump Machine Harley Race saved this one, that's for sure. Solid belly-to-belly grabs JYD by surprise, and let's be honest, Race wasn't getting dog over in that cradle suplex. Never mind the dead weight that Harley would have been lifted. I'm just not sure the dog's legs would have even bent that way at this point in his career. And I can't help but wonder how awesome this would have been in 1982. We've seen it earlier on in other territories, but how big a difference five years can make here? Look look at 1987 JYD, even compared to, say, 1984 JYD. And this was just another case, another instance where the match time is shorter than the actual feel of the match. And what I mean is that these guys crammed a lot of shit into three minutes and 20 seconds. Now, while it was obviously no classic, they still made sure the dog got off all his popular spots besides the thump. And Race took several of his fun bumps over the top rope out of the ring repeatedly in this match. This was basically a match without any of the middle stuff. It went from the hot opening sequence straight to the finishing spot. And you can't really fault them here for that, given the allotted time they were given. Race got a perfectly acceptable match out of JYD here. Nobody was exposed. Things were flowing at a nice pace. All was well. And again, we get an awesome post-match spot. JYD keeping his word, bowing to the king, before then blasting him with the chair. And I've always loved the image of Dog leaving in the ring cart with the king's cape on. To that monster pop from the fans leaving. On a high spot was JYD here. And had he not been rehired due to the Duggan issues in just a few months' time, 
Roddy Piper wasn't the only retirement from the WWF we were seeing here tonight, and the people didn't even realize it. A great send-off for JYD, though. So while some of the matches early on aren't being given a whole lot of time to work with, if there's one thing they're doing tonight, it's giving us something to remember from each and every match, even if they're short. Demelts gives this match a star. I'm going to go just a little higher, but give it a star and a quarter. Honestly, if you're in it just for the fun of the match, you could even go higher. But thus far, I really haven't deviated too far away from any of Meltzer's ratings. Very interesting there. As we head off, it's Mean Gene standing by. No, wait, that's not Mean Gene Okerlund. This promo is too big for even Mean Gene. Instead, it's the boss himself, Vince McMahon, standing by with WWF champion Hulk Hogan. Brother. Heavyweight champion of the world in the locker room, just one hour away from his moment of destiny. Well, you know, they said it was my last ride, man. Yesterday, when I finished hanging and banging, when I jumped on the Harley, man, as I went through the intersection, as I headed for the mountains, some of the non-believers in the gym said, see you later, Hulkster, man. This is your last ride. It ate me alive, brothers. When I felt the fury as I ripped, as I tore the shirt, as I headed for the sunset, man, I looked down, brothers, and as the sun beamed off the gold in my eyes, I realized that sooner or later, you got to live and die and you got to face the truth. And for you, Andre the Giant, it's time to face the truth, brother. Because when I think about what you and I have to do, man, what I have to do is nothing. All I have to do is merely beat a seven foot four, 550 pound giant. But Andre, you gotta face the truth, brother. In its purest form, man, the purest truth there is, man, the training, the saying, the prayers, the eating, the vitamins. And to beat me, man, you've got to beat every Hulk I maniac, every little Hulkster in the world, everyone that plays it straight, all the ones that don't take any shortcuts, brother. And they usually say, if the dirty air don't get you, the politicians will. But in this case, it's going to be Hulkamania. And the reason it's going to get you, man, it's the purest form of the truth there is. And I can't wait to see you go down at the feet of Hulkamania in front of 90,000 plus in the Silver Dome. What you going to do, Andre the Giant, when the real truth, the 24-inch pythons and Hulkamania runs wild on you? All right, this is one of those promos you actually have to see to really appreciate. Hulk Hogan says, all he has to do, all he has to do tonight, all I got to do is beat a 7'4", 550-pound giant, dude. But Andre, Andre has to beat every Hulkamaniac in the world in order to beat Hulk Hogan, brother. Moving along nicely here with a classic Hulk Hogan promo, then out of nowhere, he busts out this line, if the dirty air don't get you, the politicians will. I wrote, LOL, what the fuck? Is he talking about? And they usually say, if the dirty air don't get you, the politicians will. Hogan goes on to say that Hulkamania is truth in its purest form. Well, if that's true, then we're all in trouble, folks. And Vince McMahon, all throughout this promo with a, a constipated look on his face, I really don't know how else to describe it. Then his eyes bug out when Hogan busts out the what you gonna do line at the end. Good stuff. Classic Hogan promo here and funny Vince facials throughout. So we get a fun promo early on from Hogan and another more serious promo later on in the evening with the WWF champion as well. And in my opinion, this also marks the full change in Hulk Hogan. The early years of Hulk and Mania were a little more rough around the edges. Hulk was a little more human. It wasn't paint by numbers right away in the ring or even on the microphone. 
Now we've moved into that more entertainment version with the prayers and the vitamins, that larger-than-life promo that we become accustomed to here for the rest of the 80s and beyond. And it appears that Mean Gene couldn't do the Hulk promo because he was busy with an equally important interview. Here he is, Mean Gene Okerlund, standing by with the Dream Team, Luscious Johnny V and Dino Bravo. You know, I'm very curious, Luscious Johnny V. Why in the world does the Dream Team need an extra man, Dino Bravo, in their corner? Let me tell you something, Mr. Curiosity. The Dream Team is going to rain some miracle here, baby. And they're going down the tubes, those usual brothers. Pas vous scramblez, Grandma. C'est la fin du rêve de la nation canadienne française. Qu'est-ce que c'est? All right, and Bravo finally makes his TV debut as a blonde here. Hoping to stick out a little more, I suppose. Why did the Dream Team need Dino Bravo? Now, the story is actually all Montreal-based and a little bit of reality-based as well. Bravo and the Rougeos never really got along. Doesn't necessarily translate over to the WWF crowd, but somehow Dino Bravo granted permission to be ringside for this match against the Rougeau brothers. So we hear Bravo speak a little French there. Then Johnny V rambles on in his own quote-unquote French and leaves us with this little ditty. Parlez-vous scrambled Grandma! Parlez-vous scrambled eggs, Grandma. Parlez-vous scrambled eggs, Grandma. Qu'est-ce que c'est? And while we saw Johnny Valiant as a member of the Valiant Brothers throughout most of the 70s, teaming with Handsome Jimmy and later Gentleman Jerry, this Hulkamania-era version of Valiant, Johnny V, I've always felt was completely stolen from the Andy Kaufman character, Tony Clifton. From the silly rambling to the delivery of the lines, it, it, Johnny V to me here in the 80s was just a rip-off Tony Clifton. I got the chicken wings from Kentucky Fried. whoop de do whoop de die Stick a needle in your eye. Let's get some straight, people. I play a lot of the big showrooms in Vegas. I need this place like I need a shotgun blast to the face. Whoa! Somebody's wearing a lot of perfume around here. Must be that time of the month. Whoops, hey, look out. I think you're sat in some cottage cheese. Oh, pardon me, that's your ass. What's your name? Uh, Bob. Bob! What's your last name? Up and down in the water? But I digress as we head back to the ring. It's Jacques and Raymond, the Rougeau brothers, the sometimes fabulous Rougeau brothers, though they're not fabulous here tonight, perhaps because Moolah's in attendance, not really sure taking on the team of Brutus Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine, former tag team champions, the Dream Team. They're accompanied to the ring here by Johnny V and Dino Bravo. This marks the official TV debut, I want to be clear, of Dino Bravo's bleach blonde look. Dino inexplicably permitted it ringside for storylines and angle purposes only. And I do dig his red and white Canadian flag trunks, though. The storyline here, strictly about Dino Bravo versus the Rougeau brothers feuding French-Canadians, guys. They reference their past history in Montreal, but really no details here on commentary. We go back a few months, November of 1986, the top faces of the Quebec territory were Dino Bravo and the Rougeau brothers. While they were all teaming up in a six-man tag team match, Bravo with the Rougeaus taking on the tandem of the Dream Team and Johnny V, and that's really where this all started out, Dino Bravo turning on his partners, the Rougeaus, joining Johnny V in that matchup, joining his stable, turning heel. Dino Bravo back in November of 86. So the Rougeos and Bravo do have an ongoing feud that mostly takes place up in Montreal, and that feud will go on into the summer here of 87 on French-Canadian television up in Canada. Pat Patterson even gets involved as a heel, joining in 
with the Dream Team up there for some matches later here in 87, feuding with the Rougeos. But at this point, on American TV, Dino Bravo has been trash-talking and trolling the Rougeos from ringside during some of their squash matches, and since Bravo's with Johnny V, it's all in the family. Bravo hoping that the Dream Team makes his dreams come true, and that the Dream Team take out the quote-unquote French Frogs here tonight at WrestleMania. As we see Beefcake in the ring sporting a new haircut, courtesy of one Adrian Adonis, the referee here, John Bonello. So five matches into the show and five different referees. And hey, what's this Bobby Heenan randomly joining commentary to gloat about all of his successes here tonight? Let's listen to the brain explain. Right to the... Hey! Hey. The brain, the weasel has just snuck into the broadcast booth. What is it, Weasel? What do you... Well, welcome, First of all... Thank you, Jesse. Welcome to WrestleMania 3. First of all, I don't speak in any place. I am two for two, Monsoon. What are you talking two about? Two for two. Billy Jerk did not beat my man, as far as I'm concerned. Well, your man didn't win either. Wait a minute, I'm talking, because I'm on a roll today. What happened was, he knew he couldn't beat Hercules, so he kept him outside. As far as the brain's concerned, that's a victory. We win that one. The king, you saw him in the chair. We left with the crown. The miserable junkyard dog, he bowed. He cursed. He did everything we said he'd do. I am on a roll. I am two I think for all. Well, let, me, let me clear something up here a minute, Brain. You're one for three in my book. All right, and so Bobby Heenan saying he's two for two tonight. Billy Jack Haynes knew he couldn't beat Hercules, so he kept him on the outside, but he paid for it. Then from there, the junkyard dog bowed and curtsied as Harley Race kept the crown. Meanwhile, Gorilla Monsoon says Hercules didn't win his match, and Bundy lost. You're one for three. Bobby replying that Bundy doesn't count because Heenan doesn't do midgets. Fun stuff there for the brain as he randomly drops in on commentary. Quick trivia note for you as well. I do believe this is the only time that Gorilla Monsoon does commentary on a pay-per-view with both Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan at the same time. Very cool stuff there. As we head off to the ring for action, the Rougeos with quick moves and quick tags early on as they take care of Beefcake, then it's a double drop kick, finally forcing the Beefer to tag in Greg the Hammer Valentine. But the Rougeos continue with nice tag team sequences, both leapfrogging Valentine before Ray delivers a crossbody for two as Gorilla Monsoon reminds us. If they can get to the Hammer early, you're in good shape, Jess, because as it goes on, the Hammer gets tougher. Woo! I do have to agree with you on that, Gorilla. The longer the match goes, the tougher Greg the Hammer Valentine gets. You can't have a hammer match without Monsoon reminding us the longer the match goes, the better the hammer gets. He's just warming up, Jess. The Rougeos continue on the offense until Jacques Rougeau misses a middle rope reverse body block, and Valentine takes over. All right, and the hammer there with some nasty elbow drops, teeth rattlers is what the body calls them. I love the way the hammer drops elbows. I mean, he measures, guys. That, those are teeth rattlers, Monsoon. They certainly are. Beefcake tagging back in, picking Jacques up over his head, sort of in a gorilla press maneuver as the hammer comes off the top rope with a forearm to the back of Jacques' heads into a backbreaker from Beefcake. Nice combo move there by the Dream Team. Then the hammer tags back in, applies the figure four-leg lock. It could be over, but Jacques Rougeau manages to fight his way to the ropes Jacques scoring a break there from the figure four, and Jacques Rougeau then countering a Greg Valentine pile driver attempt into a backdrop, and it's hot tag time. 
to Raymond Rougeau, and Ray comes in a house of fire. Savant kicks on Greg Valentine and then locks it in his finisher, the sleeper hold. A major Rougeau finisher up there in Montreal. So Raymond with the sleeper applied on Valentine, but Beefcake from behind climbing up to the top rope. Beefcake leaping off with a double axe handle, but Raymond moves out of the way and Brudai nails the hammer, hitting his own partner. And as Brudai forced back out of the ring, it's Le Bon de Rougeau by the Rougeau brothers. Raymond Rougeau with the jackknife cover on Valentine, but the referee busy with Jacques Rougeau and Beefcake in the corner, which allows Dino Bravo to sneak in, and Dino Bravo off the middle rope with a forearm shot into the ribcage of Raymond Rougeau. Bravo then rolling Valentine on top. The referee turns around, and the Dream Team will steal the win here over the Rougeau brothers. Four minutes and one second, thanks to the interference of Dino Bravo. Now, following the match, Valentine Bravo, Johnny V climb into the ring cart to leave ringside, leaving Beefcake behind. And I get that Brutus Beefcake screwed up when he hit his partner earlier in the match, but I'm not quite sure how this constitutes just separating a team. This turn itself just seemed so awkward. It was kind of like Brutus could have left with him if he wanted to, but he stayed behind simply because he wasn't invited onto the cart. It just seemed to me like something was missing here to really drive the point of the babyface turn home. Anyway, the heels get on their little wrestling ring cart and take a ride to the back while Beefcake stands in the ring confused at the entire matter. So after two years of teaming, the Dream Team seemingly splits because Beefcake made one mistake. And they still won the match, by the way. It's not often a team wins a match and then splits right afterwards. And yes, it does seem odd that Johnny V would turn on Beefcake Johnny V brought back in in 84 to manage Beefcake. He's been with Beefcake almost since day one here in the WWF. And I guess the story here is that Valentine was looking to quote-unquote upgrade partners, and Beefcake's still mad at what Adrian Adonis did to his hair, so I guess that makes him a de facto face out of the blue. So the heels turn on their own. They turn on Beefcake, but he's going to go off and feud with somebody completely different. Makes sense. The Melt says Dino Bravo looks terrible with bleach blonde hair. Pretty much everything that happened was expected in this match, but it looked weaker than I expected it to look. Star and a half, says Dave Meltzer. Now, as for my thoughts, in all actuality, the beefcake turn and the Bravo angle was expected to go down, but I'd have to think it could have been delivered better than this. Now, as for the match, it was a match. Nothing fancy, just as I was expecting, but the Rougeos worked hard and at a fast pace to keep the things entertaining for the fans. If for nothing else, it was there to work the angle, a confusing angle, but still an angle. And I question the finish again here. I don't see why Beefcake couldn't have cost his team the win since they were splitting anyway. But I guess Dino Bravo couldn't do a job even when he's not in the actual match. And I suppose it does get over the upcoming new Dream Team and sets up Beefcake's abrupt face turn here. It's about to happen. If you didn't pick up on it here, you will in about 15 minutes. Sorry, spoiler alert. Now, as for the Rougeos, they will still go on to become far more entertaining as heels, but that's for a completely different day here in the WWF. So it's fair to say the Can-Am connection came in and took the Rougeos' good-looking, upbeat babyface spot on the card, and for good reason here. The babyface Rougeau team, just too bland. The Can-Ams, they just did it better. Now, neither team very good on promos. And that's kind of funny, too, because the original plan that Pat Patterson wanted to do, Patterson wanted to bring in Jacques Rougeau and Rick Martel. What a team that would have been. 
but it was Jacques who asked to bring in his brother Raymond as a partner instead because Jacques was entering the jungle, so to speak, and he wanted somebody he could trust by his side. Now, that's not a knock on Rick Martel, but you know what you got when you have your blood as your tag team partner. Now, as for this match, it was just there. But I go back to the pattern tonight. Another memorable finishing angle was booked here. Well, it was supposed to be memorable anyway. The new Dream Team, not all that great. Valentine was on the cusp of deteriorating as a performer to a degree, and he simply couldn't carry the crap that was Dino Bravo at this stage in Bravo's career. So, so as you can tell, I'm clearly looking forward to the Rougeau brothers versus the new Dream Team, aren't you? Meltzer gave this thing a star and a half. I gave it a star and a quarter, a little less than to Meltz here. I could see either way, as we're another match in the books, and we head into our first of, I guess, what you could call our triple main event. Is up next. It's the hair versus hair match between Rowdy Roddy Piper and the adorable Adrian Adonis, and it doesn't end there. No, no. Win, loser, draw. Roddy Piper has also announced his official retirement from professional wrestling after this match. As we head into a fun clip of feud highlights going back to the latter half of 1986 between Piper and Adonis, and then it's off to a quick promo from the hot rod himself. Here's Roddy Piper. WrestleMania 3, do you think for one second on my way out, Hot Rod gonna be humiliated by someone who wears a dress look like someone shot the curtains at day's head? You're wrong! No retreat and no surrender! No retreat and no surrender indeed. The words out of the mouth of Roddy Roddy Piper. All right, and the Hot Rod saying no retreat and no surrender as we wait for a rebuttal from his opponent. Here's Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart and the adorable Adrian Adonis. All right, Jimmy Hart, I understand somebody's going to be getting a haircut shortly, and it could be your man, Adrian Adonis. You spell wrestling, baby. A-D-O-N-I-S. Adrian. <laughs> this is the adorable one, or maybe Clipper Claude. Piper, how are you going to like it? Are you going to like a, like a baboon's behind? Are you going to want a DA or a Princeton or an Oxford? How are you going to like it? You're going to like it with wrestling and Irene. And I'm telling you right now, she has no high heels or sneakers. It's just python-like arms, and so is the trimmer. All right, you spell wrestling, A-D-O-N-I-S. I think he stole that one from John Tolis. Adonis, though, has hedge clippers with him as he hints at using them to cut the hair of Roddy Piper. My gosh, you look around, the perfume atomizer, the full body mirrors, the hedge clippers. How many of these things were stolen from Adonis and recycled for others to use? The atomizer goes to the model Rick Martel. The hedge clippers obviously are taken by Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And then those full-length mirrors... Now, Adonis didn't invent that. We've seen that in the past with Sweet Daddy Seeky and others. However, Vince would use this again with the narcissist Lex Luger and early era HBK. And before we get to the match, another Coliseum video exclusive. It's another promo from Ronnie Piper. This time, it's Hot Rod from the press conference. I am retiring. This will be absolutely my last professional match. I'll be glad to have this fight uh, over. It's no surrender, no retreat kind of idea. I'm not going out a loser. Besides that, I'm too damn tough. I'm proud of what professional wrestling has done for me, and I'm leaving, and I'm glad that you folks have finally got an event like this because the wrestling fans in Detroit and Pontiac, they deserve it. They've always been behind wrestlers, and they always give us a good, good warm welcome, and that's nice. All right, and the time for talking is done. The match right around the corner, hair versus hair, Piper's farewell match. Here in the WWF, Rowdy Roddy Piper scheduled to take on Adrian Adonis. Now, I don't know that any match on the card was built up longer than this one. And I'm not taking anything away from Savage versus Steamboat or saying that this match was bigger than Hogan and Andre. 
But the months of building to this particular match and the weeks of angles going back to the end of last summer just wow. The fans have been waiting seven months for this one, guys. As I take you back in a quick feud recap, Roddy Piper leaves the WWF post-WrestleMania 2. A brief hiatus from the ring, but returns to TV in the late summer of 1986 to learn that his Piper's Pit segment was replaced by Adonis's Flower Shop. And now I won't get into every single week, every single segment of this storyline, but you can actually go back to our Setting the Stage for 1987 edition of The Grenade. We really break it down week to week, the entire feud between Rowdy Roddy Piper and the adorable Adrian Adonis. But it was just pure heat intensified. From Piper's return in 86 to the dueling talk show segment, Bob Orton defecting from Roddy Piper and joining Adrian Adonis with the pink cowboy hat, the attacks, the beatdowns, Jimmy Hart's interaction also playing into this, the destruction of Piper's pit, Roddy with the baseball bat to the flower shop, the injuries to both men. Remember Roddy suffering the leg injury, Adrian Adonis taking the crutch to the arm. All of this led to the January 3rd edition of Saturday night's main event where Adrian Adonis beat Roddy Piper on a countout after blinding him with the atomizer. And at the same time, it also appeared that Adonis was becoming a more serious and violent character, while Piper was just as crazy as ever. Then you add a hair stipulation to the match, and then Piper, out of nowhere, claiming this to be his final wrestling match. And you've got yourself a big draw here. Did Hogan and Andre sell the card? Sure. Did Savage and Steamboat have the best match? Absolutely. But this one here between Piper and Adonis comes in a close third based on importance. And to be honest with you, many might have even placed it second above Savage and Steamboat in importance, depending on how big of a Roddy Piper fan you were. And Adonis, he enters the ring with that full-length mirror and hedge clippers, Adrian at this point abandoning most of his quote-unquote gay gimmick gear here. No dresses, no veils, no leg warmers, more aggressive, angry, and dare I say crazy Adrian Adonis these last few months on TV. And then out next is the hot rod, and boy, does Piper look ready. The first of only two men to walk to the ring tonight is the hot rod, and he stands out. I don't need no ring cart. Roddy Piper jogs his way to the ring, ready for, com ready for combat against the adorable Adrian Adonis. And the crowd is just eating it up. In fact, let's listen to the fans. Oh, take a look. Making his way down it. Approaching ringside from Glasgow, Scotland, weighing 232 pounds, Rowdy, Rowdy, Piper! Standing ovation for Rowdy, Rowdy Piper, Jess. Well, this is it, Gorilla. He's announced his retirement. This is the last hurrah for Hot Rod. Rowdy Roddy Piper leaving the ranks of professional wrestling following this historic event. Win, loser, draw, big smile on his face as he has a standing ovation here. 90,000 plus on their feet for the hot rod. Well, I'll tell you, he's definitely got the fans behind him. That's obvious, Gorilla. But the question is, will all that beautiful hair be shaved off Hot Rod's head? Well, somebody's beautiful hair will definitely be shaved. They won't have to use those crude instruments that they brought into the ring that Adrian did. The official, the professional barber's tools are down at ringside, Jess. Yeah, they're down there, and one of these guys is going to look awfully funny when it's over. We're going to either have a bald Scott or Humpty Dumpty. 
I always love that commentary from Jesse Ventura. It's the last hurrah for Hot Rod. Couldn't have said it better myself. We're either going to see a bald Scott or Humpty Dumpty. And it's kind of funny. Adrian Adonis, the former partner of Jesse the Body Ventura, and Roddy Piper will be the future tag team partner of the body, at least for TV purposes. And how's this for craziness? And we talked about this on recent episodes of The Grenade. But Roddy Piper reportedly had missed several house shows and the most recent set of TV tapings leading into WrestleMania because he had been reportedly electrocuted less than two weeks earlier while on the West Coast Loop. Yes, Piper apparently touched a live wire while coming out of his shower. While drying off after taking a shower, Piper got hold of a live wire, and it was reported that he was injured badly. Now, while some dispute these claims, and I think it was just Roddy coasting into the big payday here, if true, lucky he lived through it. As Piper rushes his way to the ring, the bell sounds as Piper takes off his shirt and kilt, and away we go. The match starts off hot with both men trading blows and Roddy Piper whipping Adonis with his belt from the kilt. Referee Dave Hepner trying to restore some order here, but it just isn't working. Piper then goes after manager Jimmy Hart, and the crowd absolutely explodes at Piper getting his hands on the mouth of the South. But the distraction from Hart allows Adonis to grab the belt that Piper was using, and Adrian begins whipping Roddy with the belt. Some of them connecting with some real sound behind him, laying him in is Adrian Adonis, and the crowd is H-O-T. Hot here for this one, as they should be. Piper, though, gets back on the offense, whipping Adonis upside down into the corner, over the top rope, and out to the floor. As Roddy reaches out through the ropes to grab Adonis, pull him back inside, Jimmy Hart begins a tug of war, grabbing Adonis by the other arm. But as you'd imagine, Hart loses that battle, and Roddy Piper drags both Adonis and Jimmy Hart into the ring. From there, the Hot Rod whips Jimmy Hart into Adonis, both men going flying over the top rope, together out to the floor. Very dangerous spot there for Jimmy Hart. He's essentially a projectile being launched at Adonis. Both guys go tumbling over the top rope to the outside and had Adonis landed on poor Jimmy. I'd hate to think the injuries he may have sustained. But Adonis back inside again with Roddy Piper. Meanwhile, Jimmy Hart climbs to the top rope. But Piper sees it coming, runs over and grabs Jimmy on the top rope. But here comes Adonis running in from behind. Roddy Piper with the rocket launcher. He launches Jimmy Hart off the top rope into the body of Adrian Adonis. Pressing him through the air and crashing down into a crossbody of sorts on the adorable Adrian. Really fun spot. His heart once again goes rolling out of the ring. Awesome bumps here by both Adrian Adonis and Jimmy Hart in this one. They pulled out all the stops. And what an excellent sequence of bumps by the heel duo. I can't put it over enough. I mean, just what an excellent sequence of bumps by the duo. I can't put it over enough. The crowd just erupting for every one of them, and rightfully so. Finally, Jimmy Hart on the outside continues to interfere, winds up tripping up Roddy Piper from the outside, and Adonis finally taking control of the match. Adrian taking the fight to the floor, ramming Roddy into the timekeeper's table. Take that, Mel Phillips. It's also at that point, Jimmy Hart finally getting his licks in. Some cheap shots there from Jimmy Hart as well on the hot rod. But you know Roddy Piper, guys. He won't back down. He just keeps coming, wanting more punishment. Piper rolling in the ring, standing up, using the ropes to prop himself up, looking at Adonis, telling him to just bring it, bitch. Just bring it, bitch. But instead, Adonis gets the referee's attention, allowing Jimmy Hart to climb up onto the apron. We saw this back at Saturday night's main event in January. Jimmy Hart spraying that atomizer once again into the eyes of Roddy Piper, something the model Rick Martell would steal years later. 
Nevertheless, this atomizer cost Roddy Piper the match by countout back in January, and it may do the same here again this time as the blinded Piper goes stumbling into the middle of the ring, and Adrian Adonis locks it on. His finisher, Good Night Irene, the sleeper hold, is applied to the hot rod. And as the sleeper is on, Piper tries to fight it every way he can. He rams Adonis back into the corner, even tries for a takeover to the mat, but Adonis won't release the hold, and Roddy goes down. It's at this point Dave Hebner has no option but to raise the hand, check on the hot rod, see if he's still with us. Hebner raises Piper's hand once, and it falls. Twice, and it falls again. Hebner raises Roddy's hand a third time, and Adonis thinks he's got this match in the back. He lets go of Goodnight Irene before Piper's hand can even drop. Adonis jumps up to celebrate with manager Jimmy Hart, failing to realize that Piper's hand is still in the air. Roddy is still with us. This match is not over, guys. So as Adonis and Jimmy Hart have that premature celebration, the referee trying to tell them the match continues, guys. But meanwhile, out of nowhere, Brutus Beefcake returns to ringside, slides into the ring, and revives the hot rod. Beefcake wants revenge, and he's going to use Roddy Piper to get it here. The beefer shakes those traps. Roddy Piper begins to tremble as he sits up, reviving himself. A second wind, if you will, by Rowdy Roddy Piper. And as Roddy gets back to his feet, he decks Jimmy Hart right off the apron. But Adrian Adonis, with hedge clippers in hand, comes up from behind, goes to swat Piper with an overhand shot with the hedge clippers. But Roddy out of the way, and the hedge trimmers bounce off the top rope, back into the face of Adrian Adonis. And now it's Adonis who stumbles into the sleeper hold of Rowdy Roddy Piper. And Piper has the sleeper applied, and I gotta add, the most blatantly loose sleeper in the history of professional wrestling. Nevertheless, Adonis goes out, his hand drops the final time, and Rowdy Roddy Piper will pick up the win here in 6 minutes and 53 seconds. The Hot Rod winning his retirement match, and due to pre-match stipulations, that means Adrian Adonis must have his head shaved. And post-match, Brutus Beefcake grabs those clippers from ringside, starts to work on the head of Adrian Adonis. A little revenge, Beefcake's revenge, if you will. Meanwhile, Roddy Piper having fun tossing Adrian Adonis' hair around the ring and to the fans as he stands on the back of Jimmy Hart, keeping Jimmy Hart down while Beefcake continues to do the cutting work on the adorable Adrian, thus earning the nickname The Barber. So Beefer getting a little revenge for getting that snippet of hair cut off the top of his head from Adrian several weeks ago, albeit accidentally. I don't see how that was an accident. We've talked about that in length in past episodes of The Grenade. Adonis, quote-unquote, accidentally cutting the hair of Beefcake. And now Brudeye getting revenge here on the grandest stage of them all. Once the hair cutting is all over with, Roddy Piper holding up the full-length mirror. As Adonis comes to, he's revived by Beefcake. Adonis slowly getting to his feet, getting his wits back about him. Adrian slowly turning towards Piper, holding the mirror, sees himself in the mirror, and goes berserk, punching the mirror in the process. Oh, that could be some bad luck there, Adrian. Adonis begins to chase Roddy Piper around the ring before he slips and falls, and finally rolling out of the ring. Adonis humiliated, leaving ringside with Jimmy Hart's jacket placed across the top of his head to hide his brand spanking new haircut. <laughs> As Roddy Piper gives his farewell to the fans, we even see a brave or stupid, depending how you want to look at it, but a fan even jumps into the ring 
as Roddy Piper plays it off and extends his hand, shaking the hand of this fan before security swarms in on the poor kid. A truly emotional night as the 90,000 plus fans in attendance truly believe we'd never see Roddy Piper in a ring again. This was indeed goodbye to the hot rod. This Roddy Piper begins to leave ringside. Even the agents come out to congratulate him. Roddy Piper shaking the hands with Blackjack Lanza, Arnold Scullin, Pat Patterson, even kissing Howard Finkel on the bald spot on the top of his head. Roddy Piper saying goodbye as he climbs onto the ring cart and rides off into the sunset forever. Or two years, whichever comes first. But the send-off, it felt real, it felt legit, and I'm sure had Roddy succeeded in Hollywood, beyond they live, this probably would have been it for the hot rod in the ring. Now as for Piper's Pit, we thought we have seen the last edition of Piper's Pit. It was said that no man could replace Rowdy Roddy Piper, so the plan was for Missy Hyatt and her Missy's Manor talk show to become the next big thing in the WWF. And we've talked about that at length on the March edition of The Grenade, even listening to sound bites of some of the Missy's Manners. And we'll talk a little more about Missy's Manor coming up here in April as well, but unfortunately, things don't really work out as planned. Missy's Manor doesn't really get over, and thus Hyatt eventually being offered a job as a federette before declining said offer and heading back to be with her man, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Let's see what the Observer rating is for this match. Dave Meltzer says, while short, this was very entertaining. Piper deserves a lot of credit for putting on a good show as less than two weeks before match time, he electrocuted himself while touring on the West Coast. Demeltz gives this match, wow, three and a half stars. Now, as for my thoughts, the actual wrestling content really isn't here, but damn, that entire bumping sequence by Adonis and Hart has to be seen to be believed, especially for the time period. This was just another case on this show of working a hot opening sequence and going right into the finish. Now, Adonis did get some heat for a minute or so, but that part really wasn't all that good, so it's probably best that they kept it short here. And what can you say? All that heat coming in, some wild bumping and belt shots from the guys, Jimmy Hart cheating at every corner, the heel thinking he wins only to find out that the babyface comes back and scores the victory. It was a great story, and the aftermatch stuff was really over with the fans as well. Roddy Piper scoring that win, Brutus Beefcake getting his revenge, cutting the hair of Adonis, and then Piper saying goodbye to that mass of humanity that was the crowd here at the Silverdome. And Adrian Adonis sold it like a million bucks, and it's clear they've got him lined up for a feud here with the newly turned babyface Brutus Beefcake. So you got Beefer, Jake the Snake, Jim Duggan now in positions to try and fill the voids of the likes of Roddy Piper and the Junkyard Dog. And I had wondered if this shaved head here of Adrian Adonis was going to lead to a new, angrier Adrian Adonis character moving away from the gay gimmick completely after WrestleMania. I guess we'll never really know. Piper, though? Oh my God, go back and watch this match. Do yourself a favor and listen to this crowd. Piper was over as shit here. I can't describe how over this match was, how over Roddy Piper was, and the crowd was absolutely ballistic for Adonis' crazy bumping spots. Makes you wonder, had Roddy Piper stuck around, who he would have been put with next to main event with on the B-shows? That's some food for thought. At the end of the day, though, it was a fun match with a warming send-off for one of the true legends of this business. If I were to rate this one, I'd go no more than, say, two and a half stars. I know Dave went over three stars, which I'm still baffled about, for the bumping sequence and the finish alone. 
Now, the stuff in the middle of the match, questionable at best. Not the prettiest wrestling match I've ever seen, but the stuff that mattered was pretty fucking awesome. And the crowd was absolutely hot. Till we meet again, Hot Rod. I personally gave this match two and a half stars. I can see people with the crowd factored in giving this up to, say, three stars, though. And before we continue on with the show, one of our listeners, Brian from Twitter, he's the 80s wrestling fan. Brian said, I enjoy your Twitter feed, and when I've listened to your podcast, I'm amazed at the amount of work you put into it. Well, thank you, Brian. A question that I believe only folks who attended WrestleMania 3 have the answer to, but where did Brutus Beefcake go between his match and the match between Piper and Adonis? It was a long way from the locker room to the ring, but he helped revive Roddy when Adonis left him in the middle, not realizing his hand hadn't dropped the third time. After the match, he was the one cutting Adrian's hair. So, did Brutus sprint all the way from the locker room to help Piper? Was he under the ring? Was he in a seat along the rail with the fans waiting for his opportunity? Excellent question here, and I'm going to touch on a question I had like this myself later on tonight in WrestleMania as well. But really good question here, Brian. I've often wondered, including when I was watching this before you sent me this question, damn, did Beefcake get in there fast? Now, I don't really have a definitive answer for you, even though this is the definitive edition of WrestleMania 3. And yes, we did see the Dream Team leave Beefcake at ringside, so we never really see the Beefer leave ringside. But from everything I've gathered and and what I've been told, there was a cue in the match, I believe when the sleeper was applied for Beefcake to begin making his way down to the ring, as if he was going to interfere either way in the match. But of course, we got the finish we did. Adrian Adonis thinking that he had scored the win, releasing Piper early, and it worked out perfectly for Brutai to climb into the ring, revive the hot rod, save his career, and the rest is history. And this was a pretty big deal for Brutus Beefcake because not only did this solidify his babyface turn, not only did this play into his upcoming gimmick change, not only did this set him up for a feud with Adrian Adonis, as short-term as that may be, but he played a big part in making sure Roddy Piper could leave the hero. It was almost like a passing of the torch of sorts. Maybe this was a little bit of Hulk Hogan playing in here, brother, but Brutus Beefcake kind of Getting the torch passed to him, and I'm not saying they wanted him to replace Roddy Piper. That wasn't going to happen. But maybe they were hoping Beefcake could step up and play that main event, babyface on the B shows, or work those semi-main events. And it's going to take some time for him to get there, but just really great storytelling that all of these parts came together. Everything made sense. Excellent booking here. The WWF firing on all cylinders leading into WrestleMania and delivering here at the pay-per-view as well. And as this memorable piece of wrestling history concludes, we are now at the halfway point of WrestleMania 3. We've made it this far, guys, and it seems like as good as time as any to shill some WrestleMania merchandise. Remember this great day forever. WrestleMania 3 commemorative items are available right now at souvenir stands as well as by mail order. The WrestleMania 3 program, filled with brand new color photos, is available for $5. This unique baseball style cap is $10. And this commemorative t-shirt can be yours in small, medium, or large, or even extra large for only $12. To order by mail, send a check in the correct amount to WWF Merchandise, Post Office Box 67. Stamford, Connecticut, 06904. That's World Wrestling Federation Merchandise, P.O. Box 6789, Stamford, Connecticut, 06904. All right, for those who have never seen the live version of WrestleMania, at the intermission, which is where we're at right now in WrestleMania, 
The WWF typically showed their merchandise, including WrestleMania hats, t-shirts, the WrestleMania program, the magazine. And here we see the Can-Am connection, Tom Zink and Rick Martell reading the programs. I guess you could say Zink and Martell were modeling here. <laughs> yes, I am a model. <laughs> Rick Martell getting ready for his future career as the model, I suppose. I've also included another soundbite here for you guys, just for the fun of it, because those who have never seen the live version of WrestleMania 3 may have never actually seen this segment of the show. It's Gorilla Monsoon taking us in to intermission. Well, folks, we've reached a halfway point. This is intermission time. There will be a 15-minute intermission, but still to come, two big title matches right here from the Silverdome, Pontiac, Michigan, the Intercontinental Championship on the line. Macho Man Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And, of course, for the World's Heavyweight Championship, Hulk Hogan taking on this number one nemesis, former friend, the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. That and a whole lot more coming at you right after intermission. We'll see you all in a short short. All right, and Gorilla Promising will be back in a short short, and we will be back in a short short of sorts when we return next week with the second half of the definitive edition of WrestleMania 3. But what a wild time this week. The Can-Am Connection proved themselves as more than just pretty boys defeating the team of the Tank and the Technician, the Magnificent Morocco and Cowboy Bob Orton. Hercules appears to have won the battle here tonight at WrestleMania against Billy Jack Haynes, but the war will go on. We had a double count out in that match, leading to Hercules leaving Billy Jack Haynes bloodied in the middle of the ring. You have to believe Haynes is coming back for revenge. If you wanted to break the neck of Hercules before, imagine what he wants to do to him now. Also, we saw six-man mixed tag team action. King Kong Bundy showing everyone he doesn't play nice with others, attempting to end the career, and, and possibly he did, of one little beaver there, giving Hillbilly Jim and his little buddies a DQ win there. Also, we saw the King Harley Race retain his crown over the Junkyard Dog as JYD was forced to bow and kneel before the King. There was no Samantha Fox, but we did get Moolah. And JYD leaves the Silverdome with his head held high. Or at least until he realizes the paychecks won't be rolling in. Also, the Rougeau brothers suffered defeat here tonight versus the Dream Team, thanks in part to the interference of their arch-rival Dino Bravo. The Dream Team leaving Brutus Beefcake behind, seemingly forming a new Dream Team, it would appear, of Greg the Hammer Valentine and Dino Bravo. And just now, Rowdy Roddy Piper getting the proper send-off he deserved after the past three-plus years on top here in the WWF, we bid adieu to the Hot Rod, at least until WrestleMania Five. What a night it has been so far, and so much more to come. We know Intercontinental Champion Randy Savage going to defend against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Jake the Snake Roberts coming for revenge on the Honky Tonk Man. Great six-man tag team action coming up with the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana looking for revenge on Danny Davis who for storyline purposes will be wrestling in his debut match here tonight at WrestleMania as he teams with the new WWF Tag Team Champions, the Hart Foundation. Plus, I hear rumors that Hacksaw Jim Duggan is in the building, which means look out, Nikolai, and the Iron Sheik, and the big main event next week as well, WWF Champion Hulk Hogan defending his title against the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant, all of that, and so much more next week here on The Grenade. I want to thank you guys so very much for being a part of this. Mark your calendars now. The definitive edition of WrestleMania 3 rolls on. It will conclude on next week's edition of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. 
God, guys, I am spent just calling the first half of WrestleMania 3. There's no way I could put this all into one episode. A show so big, it had to be split into two weeks. WrestleMania 3. Bigger. Better. Badder. We'll continue next week. Lots of big matches still to discuss here on this card. But as we wrap it up this week, I want to say happy Thanksgiving again to everyone here in the States and a happy holiday season to everyone else around the world. The WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com, will continue to pump out top-notch quality podcasts, including the Wrestling Memory Grenade as we continue on with the 1987 project here in the World Wrestling Federation. Monday Warfare slated to return with more Raw versus Nitro. As we're now in the summer of 96, Hall and Nash have arrived. We're heading into the Bash of the Beach, where we find out who their mystery partner will be. And then, as announced at the beginning of the show, our newest show, the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That will launch very soon. More details on that in the coming weeks. But I'm already happy to announce our very first project there on the Regional Wrestling Show will be 1977 in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. So we're on 1987 here on the Grenade. We go back 10 years to 1977 in the WWWF. And I'm happy to announce we have confirmed involvement with the wrestling tape extraordinaire himself, John McAdam, of his Stick to Wrestling podcast and the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, John McAdam, going to be joining the Regional Wrestling Podcast to talk the late 70s in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And who better than John McAdam to cover that period in time? Reminder, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also follow and like us on Facebook.com slash wrestling grenade and don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade new videos going up weekly there but you can follow us on social media in order to keep up with all the latest news going on in the wrestlecopia podcast network and if you have a few free bucks laying around i do encourage you please head on over to our patreon account patreon.com slash wrestlecopia that's patreon.com slash wrestle c-o-p-i-a multiple tiers to choose from but I'm only asking you to try out that $5 all-access tier. Get you six gifts for just $5. Including all of my insanely detailed show notes for here on The Grenade, as well as Monday Warfare, it's Raw versus Nitro, and pretty soon, our show notes for the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. Plus, early access to many of our podcasts, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and so much more for the low, low price of $5. No subscription, cancel anytime, give it a go for a month, and I think you'll like the content that we offer, and every penny of it goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, so please help us keep our shows up and running for the months, the years to come. And with all of that out of the way, yes, we will return. The Grenade returns next week, episode 74, the conclusion of the definitive edition of WrestleMania 3. We tackled the first half of the show here this week, the first six matches, we look at the next six matches, the final. Six matches on the card following intermission here next week on The Grenade. 
It's the Hart Foundation and Danny Davis taking on the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. The Birdman Coco Beware squaring off against the natural Butch Reed. The one everybody's waiting for, Intercontinental Champion Macho Man Randy Savage squaring off against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Jake the Snake coming for revenge on the Honky Tonk Man. Plus the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov battle the Killer Bees. And Hacksaw Jim Duggan in attendance for that one. And in the big main event, it's the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan defending against Andre the Giant. We're going to talk about all of that. Plus, I'll share my final thoughts on this epic event that was WrestleMania. We're going to take a look at the referee count here at the big event and how they were spread around the card. We'll also talk a few common misconceptions that have been shared about this event in the past. Plus, we talk WrestleMania 3 payoffs. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. And everyone's favorite topic. You've seen it for years online. Everybody always discussing who was left off WrestleMania 3 and what they would have did with them had they been part of the show. We'll wait no longer. Next week, we're going to take a look at all of the names left off of this WrestleMania 3 card. And we're going to talk realistically about who could have and who could not have made the card for this epic event. From there, we'll look into the fallout of WrestleMania 3, not just for the World Wrestling Federation, but what it meant to the professional wrestling business as a whole. We'll also look at some of the financial figures from the show, and we'll survey the landscape of the WWF moving forward. All of that and so much more next week on The Grenade. You're going to want to be part of it. But for now, it's time to wrap things up. I hope you guys are enjoying that turkey, that ham, whatever it is you eat. Hey, guys, I have eight kids, and they're picky. I have to make both. But yes, we will be back next week with the second half of WrestleMania 3, including sound bites galore. So until then, this is Ray Russell saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'll see you next week. You better not miss it. Be there. Fascinating is the word of the day, and enthusiasm is where I go. You spell wrestling, baby. A-D-O-N-I-S. And it's just like thousands of years ago when I took these chains and I pulled down the pillars of Rome. And just like I made Atlas and Samson cower at my feet. And they usually say, if the dirty air don't get you, the politicians will. But I will scrub my eyes, Grandma. Run. Phone numbers on the back of my license plate. You are a real charm.